Hello, everybody, and welcome back to... The Ion List. Hooray! This is the podcast where we do lists here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. I write for The Rap. I write for Slash Film. I write for The Film Verdict. Hey, everybody calls me Bibbs. Hey, uh, hey! My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. I contribute to Slash Film. I write about Star Trek a lot. And Futurama. <laughs> Those are like my two two main wheelhouses and other things as well. But there, who would have thought? <laughs> mainly Star Trek and Futurama. Who would have thought when you were a wee baron uh, watching all that Star Trek, that would be your bread and butter one day. The, like, I, hey, I, I, why don't you get outside and do something productive? No, this is research. <laughs> I win. For, for when I'm middle-aged and I get a writing gig. <laughs> uh, I mean, I always kind of hoped... <laughs> that I just talk about Star Trek all the time and get you know get money for it. Yeah, it's a good gig if you can get it, mm. and you got it. Congratulations, and you, audience, uh, you got yourself a new episode of the Iron List. Uh, this is a podcast where every month Whitney and I each come up with our top ten list of a certain topic, and that topic is chosen by our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network. And uh, this month, because it is Scary Toba. As uh, as you so often insist. Yeah. Apparently, once I at least once I actually called it Ghastly Tober. Okay. Which is better? I don't know. Maybe I'll alternate. I don't know. I, I really hadn't thought about it in a long time. In any case, um, yeah, it's scary, it's scary Tober. So all of our options were were pretty much horror related, and the one it was close. It was between this topic and the best vampire movies ever, and we had to mm-hmm. have a, a runoff poll. But the winner of the runoff was the best sci-fi horror movies ever. So these are movies that exist within the sci-fi genre. Either they are futuristic in some way or involve uh, the invention of a new technology or posit some sort of what-if scenario for our future or involve uh, what we might consider a sci-fi concept like... uh, Alien life forms, that sort of thing. Uh, but they are also within the horror genre, yeah. which is to say whether or not they are scary or frightening, they deal with things that give us anxiety. They explore our fears. Yeah. Uh, so, which leaves us a lot of wiggle room, and there's a lot of great films in this genre. Whitney, when we don't talk about no, our, we, our, our sort of criteria. We, yeah, we don't, we don't agree on any rules. We kind of invent what we have for ourselves. And that, that way, I think that it assures... A lot less overlap. Generally. So when we do these list episodes, you can have 20 movies to recommend mm-hmm. rather than just us agreeing on the same 10. Like we usually have one or two. Mm. I don't think we've ever had more than three or maybe four once, but I don't maybe. think so. Like, it's uh, pretty uncommon. I, I know on this list, I'm probably going to be mentioning some movies that I've talked about on previous lists just because sure. I happen to love sci-fi horror. Oh, yeah. I love science fiction. I love horror. And I love when you can use sort of technology to explore fears. But I did have a few rules uh, just because mm. uh, if, if it's a monster movie mm. and the monster just happens to be an alien yeah. or created through like some sort of genetic manipulation, mm. I didn't automatically consider that to be sci-fi horror. Those are like monster movies and alien invasion pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, the sci-fi isn't sort of endemic to the premise. Exactly. You, could sw- you could swap out the origin of the monster mm. with a non-sci-fi thing and get the same exactly. basic movie. Um, also, I wanted to, just on principle, stay away from Frankenstein. Oh. Uh, I know uh, Frankenstein is often called, like, the first 
science fiction story as we have come to know it. Like, no, mm-hmm. like uh, the horrors of evolving technology. Yeah. But I also have some other similar stories, yeah. uh, uh, similar movies on my list that might count as Frankenstein stories. So that was just sort of me trying to put a, a little mm-hmm. bit of a boundary on it. That said, a lot of mine are also very fantastical and could also be sort of magical. The lines are a little arbitrary. <laughs> it's all, well, it always is. When, the reason why I think we lump oftentimes in various uh, bookstores or mm. video stores sci-fi fantasy together is that either way you're making shit up. Yeah, although, you're, you're, yeah, and you're you're extrapolating something and creating a new world based upon a premise. Uh, fairies are real, or vampires yeah. are real, or or uh, uh, the gray aliens from Close Encounters yeah. are real. The, uh, uh, robots are real, that kind of thing. They're all, they're both based on magic. Like yeah, some sort of as far as the writer story. is concerned, unless they're um, actually inventing the technology. Yes, the uh, the vital difference is fantasy uh, is not technologically reliant and mm-hmm. takes place in an imagined version of our our past. Uh, if, sometimes they're present. If, if sometimes they're present, but you know when yeah. when I think of like high fantasy, I think of mm. medieval Europe. The, the kind yeah, of, that's, well, that's kind of it's extrapolated from n- days of night errantry when there's mm-hmm. like wizards and you know King Arthur which is adjacent to say, stories which is to say in the realm of fantasy you and I and I think it's fair to say I are mostly learned in the sort of western version yeah, of that yeah. the your Tolkien's if you will mm. uh, but there are other forms obviously yeah. and uh, but science fiction is an imagined future mm. and. It's more speculative, and it's yeah. usually extrapolated from the kinds of technology where we feel anxiety about now. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of nostalgia in fantasy and a lot more, um, uh, it, like, intellectual posturing mm. uh, when it comes to dealing with science fiction. Uh, horror is the, that kind of weird line in the middle, because horror deals with something very abstract, which is our fears, and that can yeah. also be very fantastical. Uh, so there's a lot of fantastical elements in a lot of my movies, mm-hmm. but I'll explain how they're grounded in sci-fi as well. But we'll, yeah. we can kind of go through one by one. Yeah, I really didn't have any hard, fast rules uh, for mine. Um, I tried to make sure as much as possible that the science fiction element was important, but it mm-hmm. wasn't background Um there's maybe one or two where you could argue that. Uh, but generally speaking, I, I tried to focus on films where the sci-fi premise is important. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so much of our science fiction is um, sort of an attempt to warn us of what the author sees of as our, as our future. Mm-hmm. You know, if we invent this thing, we will destroy ourselves. If we go to the stars, we'll be the assholes, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so, you know, th- there was no shortage Mm. Of sci-fi horror stories, and this is maybe one of my longer short lists that I've ever had. Like <laughs> okay. it's just breaking this down was absolutely just maddening, uh, and I made a conscious effort to not pick just a bunch of the established classics. Which is to say, yeah. that doesn't mean they're not brilliant. That mm. doesn't mean they're not you know respectable, worthy, arguably maybe even better than what I picked. But I'm going off of... I, I'm, I'm trying to trust my taste. Yeah. Not try to think all entirely about historical significance, mm. but just what, to me, is the gamut of sci-fi horror. Mm. And it, a lot of those established classics... I have one or two. Uh, but a lot of those established classics are... 
important, but they're not necessarily my favorite, and they're not necessarily what I would gravitate to if I were in the mood for the genre. Right. So, um, I guess the only other thing to say is that before we get started, if anyone is new, uh, Whitney and I do top ten lists a little differently than most people. Uh, we don't give a crap about ranking things. Uh, we're, if we pick a film tenth, uh, that doesn't mean that it is better or worse than whatever we pick ninth. Hmm. Uh, it is just a list of films we entirely recommend. All the basically, with the exception of our number one, which is basically if you asked us, "What's the greatest sci-fi horror film ever made?" That would be like us with a gun to our head. Like, what would we pick? Yeah. But two through ten, all a tie. Yeah. We want you to it see is, all uh, of these movies. It it really doesn't matter. Like, oh, yeah. This, how dare you rank this at number six instead yeah. of number seven? It's like. Really, you're kind of splitting hairs at that point. There's so, so many yeah, sci-fi horror movies we, we out there. Wanna, if they make the top ten, they're great. Okay? We, we choose one best. We save that for the end. So you can kind of treat all of those others as a countdown if you like. But mostly it's just a discussion of all yeah. films that are belong on this list. All right. And uh, these tend to run a little long, so we're just going to get right into it. Yeah. Whitney, what do you want to start talking about? Uh, I want to start with Dr. X. Oh, good pick. Uh, yeah. I almost um, picked this. This is a Michael Curtis film from 1932. Uh, pre-code sci-fi horror murder mystery. And two strip technical. Two strip technical. A beautiful process oh that was you know abandoned long ago because they started coming in with three strip technicolor. Colors were a lot more vivid after that. Well, they're more accurate. Two yeah. strip technicolor is almost like... It's like impressionistic almost. Yeah. There's, there's a great thing that Martin Scorsese did in the movie The Aviator where as characters like grew throughout the mm. you know the 20s 30s and 40s uh the look of color processing the, the color palette of the film evolved mm. based on what color films looked like in that era so there's a few scenes <laughs> in the aviator where he's trying to capture two strip technicolor there's like the golfing scene with like uh, howard hughes and uh, uh catherine hepburn where oh, yeah? he's trying to do the two strip technicolor color palette and it's this weird kind of gross green and it's, I'd, have to, I'd have to watch it again but uh it, yeah. I, I admire that scorsese tried to do that yeah if he were oliver stone he would have done it he would have found like old cameras and, well like, yeah the old, old like film stock i'm sure and he shit. would have preferred to if he could i'm sure have. he would have. Yeah. Yeah, but, but in any case it's a really cool look if you've yeah. never seen two strip technicolor not but, a lot of films but yeah, are made it, in it, it, it does have that kind of like washed out gr- it it looks like um this is a weird analogy but do you remember when uh the Super Game Boy came out for the Super Nintendo. Yes. It was a cartridge you could put in a Super Nintendo, and into that cartridge you could insert a secondary cartridge mm-hmm. from, for your Game Boy. Yeah. And it would come up with, through its little mechanical brain, like a four-color version of these black-and-white games. Yeah, so they weren't, like, colorized by someone who was taking great care to make sure, mm-hmm. well, that's obviously red, whatever. It's like this weird sort of just jumble of strange colors. Yeah. And it was a really cool look. And, but, and yeah. I, I feel that way about two strip Technicolor. Yeah. Like that's like they're, it's black and white. And they're sort of inserting these colors that don't mm. like they look really cool, but they're not yeah. at all natural. They, they looked more accurate when they used to just literally paint on mm. the the celluloid. Yeah, back in the silent era, which they would do constantly. Actually, and a lot of the films but, uh, we think of as black and white were originally supposed to be color. Uh, the plot of Doctor X is there's a serial killer on the loose, yeah. and. Because of the way the bodies have been mutilated, it's clearly a mad scientist at work. Yeah, and there's um, a mad scientist university, like, right yeah, next to where all the bodies l- l- Yeah, luckily there's a bunch of mad scientists around, and the movie is all the mad scientists have been gathered into, like, the accusing chamber yeah. by Dr. X. Yeah. And he's going to uh, 
use mad science essentially to prove which one of them did it. Like seriously, this is imagine if you will glass onion, but mm. all the characters are mad scientists. Like yeah. you, Dr. Cyclops and you, Dr. Doom, which one of you is the killer? Like, Oh my God, I love that. Premise. <laughs> it's so wild. Uh, and, and I will say this, it's first off, it's gorgeous, mm. super atmospheric, super strange angles and shadows. The, the solution to the mystery is so fucking off the wall. It's, it's really bizarre. The whole sequence. Uh, I thought this I from, was this high. Is from, this is from the director of like Casablanca. Yeah. Like he, he knows how to do like just sort of good corker action pictures. He can do any that. genre. And then he did uh, Casablanca, which is like this war drama romance picture. Uh-huh. But he directs it like an action movie. Oh, yeah. So Michael Curtis is actually like a really sensational film, like sensationalist mm-hmm. filmmaker who knows really how to get into these really lascivious angles and, and ideas. Yeah. He is in this early part of his career, like chumming really close to like Todd Browning yeah. in terms of like his interest in freaky stuff. Imagine if you will, like all those like great filmmakers that emerged in like the seventies, but they all started with Roger Corman. This is his Corman era. Yeah. Where he's just churning out amazingly weird. This is all, he also did the mystery of the wax museum, which isn't a sci-fi film, but it's also fucking great. And two strip technicolor and oh, gorgeous. Yeah, the big reveal in Dr. X, when you finally find out who did it and how they're doing it and everything, comes out of nowhere. Mm. It's terrifying. It it feels like, almost like the movie suddenly started getting remixed in kind of like a contemporary way. <laughs> you have to expect, like, Electronica to start playing. Yeah. Like, like it's George, fucking great. You need to get, somebody needs to do, like, uh, some sort of Electronica score. Yeah. I, I could hear, like, a John Carpenter, like... Yeah. Really droning kind of synthetic uh, score underneath awesome. something like Doctor X. Yeah, I love Doctor. That's a great pick. Doctor X is excellent. Oh God, now I kind of wish I picked it, but no, no, no. <laughs> I, guess, I guess it's fine. I guess it's fine. Hmm. I guess it's fine. You have anything else you want to say before we move on? Uh, well, I, I really can't because there's like so many secrets. It's a murder mystery, yeah. So you can't really say what the secrets are. But yeah, the, there's just this wonderful gothic scene where mm-hmm. Doctor X is on essentially on a stage. In front of the other doctors are all sitting in like chairs evenly spaced around yeah. it's him. It's almost like Hamlet. Yeah. We're going to try to recreate the murder and see how you react. Yeah. yeah. And it's very perverse. Yeah. yeah. There's these weird scientific principles and all these mad science. Like, yeah. And a lot of, because it's pre-code, there's all this talk of like really horrifying, gory stuff. Yeah. There's not like blood and guts on camera. No, but, but it's, uh, it's still They're talking about like slicing up bodies with certain kinds of scalpels and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So you, you would not get a G rating today. That's for no, sure. No, it's, it's yeah. pretty wild. Uh, the um, one, my one complaint with Dr. X, if I have anything, is that they, they added this like kind of plucky young hero character who just feels like he came from a slightly different movie. Like he's almost like well, more like, of a comic relief hero. I, I suppose so. Um, he's okay. I just he's feel okay, like he's, I, the tone is slightly off. I, I feel that way about screen. a lot of characters from like horror movies in the 30s. There was always yeah. like the bo- the boring breeding couple, essentially. Yeah. Like the hero and the heroine, and they're really yeah. dull, and they Dracula, have to survive. And the mummy. It's like, you, you, know? You, know what, you know who we never talk about ever when we talk yeah. about those movies? Are the protagonists. Yeah. We care about the monsters. We care about the scientists hunting the monsters. Yeah, we care about the weird henchmen that they have. But mm. yeah, no one ever... No one ever just like, you know what my favorite part of Frankenstein is? Mm. Uh, Frankenstein and his wife. Yeah. No. <laughs> you never talk about that. Talk about the monster and the bride of the monster, yeah. maybe, but you never talk about that. You're, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, so. Dr. X is on the Criterion channel, yes. so you can watch it there. You absolutely must. Uh, for my first pick, uh, what do I want to pick here? I'm going to pick uh, a film that I sometimes I don't know if it's good or not. 
<laughs> okay. Like, I, I've gone back and forth on this movie, and whether I think it is kind this, of a towering these, achievement... These are the best movies to talk about, oh, yeah. by the way. Whether it's a towering achievement, and I think in some ways it undeniably is, or whether it stinks, and I think in some ways it undeniably does. But what mm. I think it has, more than any other film of its ilk, uh-huh. is a genuinely weird, pervasive sense of terror. There is... Much like Dr. X, some unnecessary comic relief that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh But the overall impact of this movie, even though it was kind of designed to be kind of a big, crowd-pleasing, blockbuster-y kind of film, uh, is very dour and very ominous and extremely disturbing. uh, And that is The Black Hole. (laughs) Okay, um... I, I can answer one of your questions. Uh-huh. The black hole stinks. Um, <laughs> the black hole is was uh, Disney, uh, yeah. and this was in like the late seventies, early. Disney went through like a lot of waves of success. We like to think of them oh, yeah. as being sort of like this pervasive cultural presence, but yeah. they had a lot of low points. They had a and, huge uh, identity crisis from like the late seventies to the late nineties, especially through movies. Uh, like it was well, all over the place. I, I think. Uh, on, from the from like the mid seventies up until the Little Mermaid, there was this yeah, big. It was like eighty nine. It's like yeah, this big dead. Zone. Well, you said late nineties. Oh, I'm sorry, but, so uh, I meant late eighties. Yeah, until yeah, yeah, the late eighties. Yeah. No, no, no. the nineties yeah, they, they had they, their they had their shit down. There, there they had this, a brand, yeah. but the eighties they didn't know what. There was this doing. dead zone in, yeah. in like Disney's history. They were talking about shuttering their animation department, yeah. and this is when they started trying out stuff. And I always want to see a studio do that, even if they're going to fail. The this is when they did, like, Something Wicked This Way Comes. Yeah, and, and The Watcher and, in the, and the Woods. Watcher in the Woods. Yeah, they were, like, yeah. trying to do some, like, horror and sci-fi movies. They were they were turning into, let's just be a studio. Yeah. Not, like, a specialty studio that does yeah. kid movies. Uh, wouldn't it have been keen if that's what they turned into? If they I were, like a, like, a Warner Brothers and they but just put out anything. They all wanted. of those movies where uh, they were, like, really trying to ex- sort of spread their wings and mm-hmm. try to be things that people thought Disney wasn't. Uh, they all were the of them bombs. tanked. Yeah. All of them tanked. Black Hole included of Memory Service. And, and, uh, Black, and the Black Hole, Hole was their uh, their attempt to replicate the success of Star Wars, like yeah. everybody was doing at the Star time. Star Wars was so huge that every studio tried to get their own Star Wars. Mm-hmm. There was Flash Gordon. Uh, there was Moonraker. They tried to turn James Bond yeah, into something um, Star Warsy. Uh, and uh, yeah, Disney's idea is Star Crash. There was Let's Star not forget Crash. Star Crash. I like Star Crash. Um, not a horror movie, but I like Star Crash. Um, Disney's idea on how to replicate the success of Star Wars was to essentially do kind of a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in space, where a group a little, of... A little careful and yeah, comfortably in their wheelhouse. Yeah, but their, their decision was to make it scary and disturbing. So it's about a, a group of scientists... Uh, in space, uh, mm. people like uh, Ernest Borgnine, uh, Robert Forster, Yvette Mimiu, uh, Anthony Perkins, mm. um, and they find what is supposed to be like this missing ship. And uh, the ship looks like a cathedral the size of a planet. Yeah. And it is hollowed out and dark and decaying and they're just sort of investigating it seeing like oh what happened to this ship whatever happened to the crew and then it lights up and you realize oh shit people are still in here <laughs> and who is inside but maximilian shell as an absolute out of his mind mad scientist who has the entire crew is dead he has built an army of scary robots uh uh-huh. to do his bidding and to be his companions and he wants to his ultimate goal is to send his starship into a black hole 
and he's gonna take all of our heroes with him and they're like oh shit we're all gonna die this is a terrible fucking idea and it turns out there's like a big reveal with the robots it's really really fucked up and the conclusion of the film isn't like a whole bunch of like cool robot fights or everything it's people like desperately running through their for their lives as these like giant balls of fire <laughs> like the, you know that you know that like thing everyone's talking about like in Vegas like that big like eye sphere it's just called the sphere the right? sphere yeah. okay so you know how big that sphere is imagine if that's rolling after you and it's on fire and you're in a confined space mm. that's one of the most incredible action sequences in this it's, movie it's I'll say this for the black hole the special effects are first rate unbelievable they, they look fantastic they're huge they're overpowering and they're dour mm. they're not spectacular you're not going ooh you're going oh i do not want to fucking be here right now disney's approach to the black hole Mm. is really fucking weird because disney absolutely had for a while the spirit of adventure down pat they did that great like zorro tv series they had just done that like robin hood animated show they understood plucky pulp heroics but what they wanted to do here was like basically turn the black hole. We're going to eschew conventional narrative. We're going to eschew the idea of having like, you know, really, you know, young, handsome, no offense to Rob Force or anything, but you know, like, like sort of matinee idol heroes. Yeah. Um, and they wanted, it's like they were trying to make it like a, a, a creepy amusement park ride. Like mm. you're walking into this giant ship. Oh my God, look at all of it. And then at the end, we're all going to go through the black hole. Like that's like the big dip at the end of like Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean or something. And you go through that thing and it ends in a shot that is genuinely fucking creepy. And is also somehow a pun on the name Maximilian Shell. Well, I, I Which mean, is weird. It feels like that's probably a coincidence, but it's weird. It, it, it is a coincidence, but yeah, yeah it, it involves like interdimensional shenanigans and yeah. robots and uh, yeah. But it, uh, it even though it's even though narratively it's not very good, but there's a lot experientially of, it's very good. I think and, and the yeah, score is fantastic. John Barry is this incredible. There's a really creepy, yeah, really fantastic giant score, score. Really wonderful. Uh, special effects characters kind of bland. Uh, yeah, but, moments of like shocking horror throughout, yeah. like a. Uh, who, who's running the ship, for instance? Yeah. And you know, all, the, all the robots f- f- running the ship. There's like a... Those there's are a, creepy robots. Yeah. Um, the uh, there's, there's like people getting impaled and shit on robot yeah. arms and... Uh, yeah, there's uh, the there's like these guard robots that have like these blender hands that kind yeah. of like drill into people. Those will be yeah. used in a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like... Um, it's like they were given free free reign to do whatever they want. Oh, we can do this sci-fi adventure story. Isn't that Uh going to be grand? And what's it going to be like? Well, it's, it's going to be like, um, I know we'll make it like heart of darkness in space. Yeah. And what a weird pitch. How did that get through corporate? But they're still going to try to do like the cute, R2-D2 knockoff Cyclops. The yeah. They're so fucking weird. But here's the deal. Even those robots, but the, but there's, there's like... It doesn't like fit in the tone of the rest of the film. It doesn't, but there's and... this weird element to it where like there's this one robot, I think it's played by Slim Pickens. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's the dented up one. It's a dented up robot because the other robots are abusing it. Mm. They're like beating up on this defense. Imagine if you watched like a, a Star Wars and the entire movie, uh, you found out that all the other droids in existence were, like, kicking the shit out of R2-D2. And R2-D2 had no actual recourse for that. And that's just that character. You're like, what the shit, movie? <laughs> Weirdly oppressive. But 
if you ever get a chance to see this on the big screen, that's the best way to do it. It's so immersive and strange. At home, though, just turn off the lights and just try to let the mood hmm. go through you because this is one of the best designed yeah, well, sci-fi environments I've I, ever seen in a film. I feel about the black hole the same way I feel about Tron, which sure, I know is I is, a, is a pretty beloved movie, but it... <laughs> I, I think I think even beloved, even who love it admit that it's got problems. It's got problems. It's, it's kind of clunky, it, you know? It's kind of clunky, and the visuals for don't look as good as how much money they spent on them. No. They tried to, to like capture this really certain look. So they actually had to do this really complicated filmic process where they were like layering images on top of each other, like yeah. for all of the in computer science fiction sequences. And it ended up looking like, Oh, they just desaturated it. Yeah. It, like there's, there's some cool shots in it, but for the original, doesn't look that hot. Yeah. Black hole, all the money's on the screen. Yeah. It yeah. looks like they spent money. So they're, yeah. they're trying to tell these like really ambitious stories, but they're not really sure what kind of story to tell and things get really kind of weird and dark. And that's admirable, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily make for a good movie. I, again, I've gone back and forth on this. The first time I saw it, I really didn't like it. The last time I saw it, I was like, I kind of love it. <laughs> and I and here's the thing. I don't think I've like grown. I think it's both simultaneously. Yeah, I think it's just yeah. a matter of what lens are you looking through in order to watch the film. And if you look at it in terms of just horror atmosphere hmm. and ignore the fact that the plot isn't great, uh, then I think you'll have a really cool experience. Yeah. So I highly recommend it. Um, I have two really new films on my list. Okay. And I want to want to talk about um, one of those next. Okay, I don't think uh, I do. That's interesting. Like so, it's a one kind. I, th- of I think I started with the. No, I didn't start with the oldest on my list. Okay. I think of one that's a little older. But interesting. Um, uh, there are a couple from the last few years that really struck me. One film really, really got under my skin from 2020. Oh. Uh, and it was Lee Winnell's version of The Invisible Man. Oh, good pick. I didn't, I didn't um, make my try. I wasn't even thinking okay. of that. That's like, a great fucking movie. Like, I, I like the original Invisible Man. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the James Whale film because a, a, uh, Claude Rains is, plays a wonderful maniac. Oh, yeah. Uh, just, e- just, even if you can't see him, he's playing a wonderful maniac. Yeah, just, just the absolute epitome mm. of I've let the power go to my head. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. And the visual effects in that movie hold up pretty damn good. Oh, they're great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not just it's like, like there's no one on screen. Yeah. They actually, like, you know, the matting effects and everything. It looks really cool. If it bugs you that, you know, like he takes the bandages off his head and his head is invisible and you can't see like the inside of his collar, like if that kind of thing bothers you, then I don't know what to say. It's really not going to bother you. It's a movie from like the the 1930s. Just just marvel at what they were able to accomplish for Christ's sake without computers Um, or anything. Uh, but the 2020 film does use computers. Oh yeah. It's just, uh, but uh, it's a better film. I would say It's, it's great. It, it's great, and it, I think because it captures something, uh, actually something that's really kind of personal to me, just sort of like trying to escape a bad relationship. Yeah. And uh, it's about Elizabeth Moss. Uh, she plays a woman who, in the opening scenes, is trying to sneak out of a mansion. And the anxiety is there right away. You know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's with uh, a man who's asleep with her in bed. And she needs to extricate herself from this relationship, which is clearly abusive and has been keeping her kind of prisoner. Yeah. So she actually has already uh, constructed this elaborate plot just to get out of the house. And he is working in some kind of like optics lab. He's some kind of like tech bro, super genius, but he's also really manipulative and really like cruel and gaslights her all the time. Yeah. Uh, Makes her feel bad about when she tries to leave. Um, And, like, even doing things like dictating uh, her, her um, uh, birth control pills 
Oh, yeah. Like, just controlling uh, literally every facet of her yeah. life. And, and she, so she escapes. All of, all of that is yeah. communicated in, like, the first early scenes oh, yeah. without hard, with hardly any dialogue. Oh, yeah. Really, really and great. She filmmaking. she escapes. Uh, he says, you need to come back to me or or I'm going to off myself. Like, he, I'm yeah. going to take my own life. Uh, and according to the papers, that's what happens. Yeah. And weirdly enough, she inherits all of his money. She inherits all his money. Yeah. But she is has been so traumatized by this experience mm. that she's kind of an agoraphobe. She's staying with mm-hmm. her, is it her sister? Or, uh, she, or she's, it... she, she, she has a sister, but she's staying with a friend. That's right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And his, a friend and his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. She's staying with yeah. a friend uh, and his daughter and uh, just sort of, and every time she like leaves the house, she is looking up and down the street. Uh-huh. And I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever like been in an abusive relationship that they were able to get out of, mm. but that's, like a palpable feeling that they're just going to be standing there on the corner, that they're going to be there. Yeah. You're so used Um, to being on edge that it's impossible to get off of it. And even though this man is dead, Mm -hmm. she's not convinced that he's gone. Yeah. There's all these little things that make her feel like he's still around her, still manipulating her. And everyone keeps saying, I understand why you say that. Mm -hmm. I understand why you're afraid of that, but he's dead Uh and you don't have to worry about him anymore. And you can relax. Yeah. And Lee Winnell does this really brilliant thing where, like, they'll be like, she'll be like at home just doing dishes or mm-hmm. whatever. And the camera's looking at her doing dishes. And then the it's camera like, pans a, a little to the left, <laughs> just as if there was someone there. Uh, but there isn't. But there isn't. Or is there? Or uh, there, there's Ooh, a. Ooh, that's good. There's a shot, there's a single uh, wide static shot of a kitchen. She's in yeah. the kitchen and she's like cooking something. And she leaves. And then something starts burning while she's gone. Yeah. And the, the camera just stays on the empty kitchen. And you are staring at that smoke, yeah. waiting for like somebody to appear in Anything, it. Anything, yeah. Uh, so much she, restraint, but so, it, oh, it's so great. Even if there were no sci-fi elements in this at all, uh-huh. this would be a wonderful uh, just scary portrait, movie. like a scary yeah. movie. Well, just about that kind of relationship drama. I mean, it's, I just now, mean, it's, it's terrifying. That's all it, I mean. it is called The Invisible Man. You know what's kind of going on. There is yeah. a man here and he's invisible. Yeah. Uh, you could call that The Invisible Man and he could just never be there. Yeah. The point is that he's always there yeah. whether or not you can see him. Uh, the and, Invisible Man is kind of, yeah. kind of the point of this movie. What, what I love that Lee Winnell did with mm-hmm. this movie is um, a lot of the best monsters mm. in, in all of literature, regardless of, of medium, uh, tap into something really primal, yeah. I think. Um, I think Stephen King referred to it as, like, all monsters are either... Uh, a vampire, like the creature without the other yeah. coming for you. Uh, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, they're inside, the your monster's within, inside yeah. of you. Or they're Frankenstein, that's a monster you've created. Mm. Uh, and that's what makes those types of monsters really, really primal. Werewolf is also a Dr. Jekyll thing. Um, with The Invisible Man, he took a story that even like the original tales was basically just like, haha, what if this guy gets a power and goes mad with it? And finds something, a clear simple, brilliantly effective allegory yeah, yeah, that connects to something real that you may have experienced or you know someone who has experienced it and just adds this. And because it's portrayed that part with such genuine intensity mm-hmm. by Elizabeth Moss and everyone around them, um, it kind of... There's a few moments later on where it's a little bit more like tech and set piece heavy. Mm. Never over the top like in Hollow Man, but like a few where I feel like if the movie hadn't been so genuine and built up so much goodwill, 
it wouldn't have worked. Well, I was you know? going to say, you, those you, moments are earned. Exactly. Uh, it, it's, yeah, there's like tech thriller elements to it, but yeah. a, a thriller uh, is going to be that, you know, just that much more effective if yeah. it took the time to really sort of ratchet up tension first. So the mood is correct by the time mm-hmm. you get to that. And that way, when there's actual violence or, or horror, it it's that much more shocking. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene in a restaurant. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. The entire fucking theater uh, jumped yeah, at yeah. the exact... Usually there's like a few people like, all oh, right. No, everyone in the fucking theater went, oh, Jesus yeah. fucking Christ. The, the, the restaurant scene is really horrifying. Oh, yeah. And, and what... And the, and of course the the denouement is really oh, clever as well. It's smart. It's yeah. satisfying. It's bitter. It's it feels still feels like a horror movie, even yeah. though it comes like it kind of gives everything a bit of a button. Uh, uh, I, I I call it one of the best movies of 2020. I, I still agree. feel it's one of the best movies of that year. Yeah. It it really sticks with me. Um, I it doesn't hurt the fact that I consumed an entire pot of Earl Grey. Because we saw this at, at I love the... that uh, that's your watching a movie high. Well, like, we were... Uh, we, we saw this at the Alamo Draft House. Uh, you and I, we saw it together. And um, they serve food at Alamo Draft House. Like, you can actually order a whole meal and there's, like, a little table in front of you. You can eat, you know, whatever you want. And I just... I didn't want food, but it's like, okay, I'll have some tea. But they didn't just bring me a cup of tea. They brought me a whole pot. So I'm, and I'm really engrossed in the movie. So I'm drinking more and more caffeine. And you know, when you're watching a movie like this and you have caffeine jitters, Mm -hmm. you're just, you're fucked up. I mean, it's getting deep into your brain. So Mm -hmm. maybe that was part of my experience, but then I rewatched it and it was just as effective. So yeah, yeah, I I really, really love this one. It really makes me uncomfortable in that good horror movie kind of a way. There's a movie I almost put on my list. Uh Uh, that has this also like oppressive, abusive, controlling man in a sci-fi environment Hmm. uh, vibe. Uh, But the difference is that the Invisible Man is done entirely intentionally, but in the movie Passengers, it's Hmm. an accident. The the movie with Uh, Christopher Pratt. Oh, on the the, the space yeah, uh, uh, if you ever saw it, ship, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm not going to linger on it because ultimately what I decided was because it's a mistake. Because and I interviewed the director, this was not his intention. Mm. The fact that this movie is terrifying is an accident, and I can't, in good conscience, call it one of the best. Uh-huh. But it did scare the shit out of me. <laughs> um, Passengers stars Chris Pratt as a guy who is like in hyper sleep on a ship yeah. uh, that's going like an impossible distance, and there's a glitch, and he wakes up early. Like a hundred like, like, years yeah, like early, he's, he he would die of old age before the ship reaches its destination, and he is just trying to survive, trying to like. There's food, not good food, but food. Like he'll he'll make it last, but he's incredibly lonely, and he develops this like creepy, obsessive parasocial relationship with this other passenger, and then after a while, he decides to just wake her up, dooming her. Yeah. Dooming her, giving her no option There's no way to put people back into cryosleep. So if if he releases her, she's out for the duration, and he's essentially... Taken away her future. Taken away her future and locked her in this cruise ship with him until she dies. With this creepy guy who decided to do that. Uh, And um, and he doesn't tell her he did that at first. He tells her it was another glitch. But when she finds out, she finds out that she cannot escape this guy. And she's trying to, like, create space for herself. And he refuses to, like, he'll, like, go on the intercom and, like, follow her around the ship. And this is fucking terrifying. 
This is an absolute nightmare when you view it from Jennifer Lawrence's perspective. Mm-hmm. But the movie is from Chris Pratt's perspective, and it's way too forgiving. It, well, it's, it's really they, weird. They, they treat it like a love story, like they're, they're together. It's impossible. And then... it, you can't possibly. Anyway, it drives me up the wall. Anyway, it's, it's an interesting double feature, I feel. <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I talked about Dr. Jekyll and Hyde. Oh. I'm going to go with. Uh, a movie that has become my favorite version of that. And that is okay. Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. Not Dr. Jekyll and Ms. Hyde, the one with no, Sean Young no, 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 and no, Timothy no. Daly. All right. No, no, no. Uh, uh, no, that is, a, that is a comedy that has... I'd say it hadn't aged well, but nobody liked it at the time. No, it was, uh, it was considered pretty sexist at the time. Yeah, uh, that movie was... Uh, Tim Daly was uh, Dr. Jekyll, and he took a potion, and they turned into a sexy woman played by Sean Young, and it was played entirely for laughs, whereas Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde... Uh, which is uh, uh, a Hammer film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually treats it like really seriously. So the idea is uh, this is a film directed by Roy Ward Baker, uh, and uh, it uh, Doctor Jekyll finds a way to achieve his goal to transform himself to become like this idealized version of himself. In order to do that, oh, and by the way, fun little little cute like little historical thing here. He he gets his like like uh, his various like potty parts and everything that he needs to do his stuff from Burke and Hare, uh-huh. like the actual historical figures, which is fun. Um, uh, but in order to do create an elixir of life, uh, he needs female hormones, and so he ends up giving himself an elixir that also transforms him into a beautiful woman. And this beautiful woman is more confident. This beautiful mm. woman will do what she has to do to survive in a world that will not accept her both as both as a woman and also as this, like, person who was created through science. Uh, and our hero, or villain, if you will, is incredibly confused mm. by everything that he's going through. And what I'm, I'm watching this movie, and I realize that Roy Ward Baker... Um, there's no meaningful evidence to suggest that he was attempting to create uh, a sensitive, thoughtful portrayal of queerness. Mm. He's probably just going off of the text and just telling the story. But there's something just unusually knowing about how thorough the allegory is. About how... Uh, uh, Again, a lot of these horror movies, we care about the, the monster, if you will, right? That's yeah. the whole point. Well, in this case, the monster is... I mean, Dr. Jekyll shouldn't have been, like, stealing from corpses and shit. That's bad. But the actual monster is actually blameless. Hyde didn't do anything. Well, Hyde, not at Hyde, first. Hyde was, like, murdering people. Yeah, but in this version, it's like she she's not that cut-and-dry evil. Oh, okay. Like, she, she does bad things as well, but, you know, it's just a matter of... In, the, in Robert Louis Stevenson's original story, Hyde was grotesque. Yeah. Hyde was the embodiment of all of the ugliness in Dr. Jekyll's soul. In this movie, Hyde is beautiful. Hyde is actually an idealized version of Jekyll's self. Mm. Hyde is who Jekyll probably wants to be mm. and is incapable of accepting that within themselves. And... It's smart, it's atmospheric, because it's got that great hammer quality. Um, 
What year was yeah, this? Think, oh god, early seventies. Um, right. Let me let me look it up. Hang on. Doctor Jack, seventy one. Oh wow. Okay. And this is around the time like they were starting to do some really like overtly queer stuff in like the Hammer canon. You see stuff like the Vampire Lovers, yeah. which is a very gay film. Uh, well, I mean, and it's great. Was... It's a brilliant motion picture. I love that movie, but it's very upfront about its 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 lesbian. Well, that, uh, not undertones, over, over, overtones. Well, and that was a way to, um, like, just sort of put queerness front and center. It's okay yeah. to have queer women, and it's usually women, yeah. in your movies, uh, if they're vampires. Yeah. And and again, and also monsters as mm-hmm. well. Uh, but the thing is that we are trained as horror fans to sympathize with the monsters, to consider that they have a plight, that the things that they do that we consider horrifying are the only way that they can exist in a world that doesn't, you know allow them yeah so dr jekyll and sister hyde is actually like a really exciting take on the original tale and it is a story about trans queerness and it is you know has like kind of like this bitter you know horror ending where you Mm -hmm. know wouldn't it be nice if everything worked out great but um yeah I, i was just blown away by just how like, if this were made today, it would be considered a pretty sophisticated metaphor. And in 1971, might have been a bit of an accident. <laughs> but uh, it's really, really cool. And I like that movie a lot. I hope more people check okay. it out. All right, what do you got next? Um, I, I also have one that's uh, like a science fiction examination of uh, sort of bodies and sexuality. Mm. Although uh, not maybe not in a queer context. Um, but I was very fond of Jonathan Glazer's 2013 film, Under the Skin. Oh, yeah. Um, which is... About a, a creature from space, yeah, an, an alien of some kind that, as far as I can tell, doesn't have a shape, like it doesn't yeah. have a physical presence, and it takes over, uh, it takes over, not a character played by Scarlett Johansson, essentially Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, it basically takes uh, a, it creates a body for itself out of Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, and then it drives around uh, uh, the countryside picking up amorous people mm. uh and then bringing it back to like this weird location and it basically it's a big giant black empty room mm. and then they sink into nothingness and they and they're and after they sink into nothingness they're like digested in some kind of way like they're being yeah. eaten it's, by it's this it's never explicitly described exactly what's happening but yeah. you pick it up you yeah, pick it up yeah. to digest um yeah and from what I understand, Jonathan Glazer actually had Scarlett Johansson drive around in a mm-hmm. truck and pull up to total strangers. Yeah. Just say, hey, how you doing there? And they recognize her. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, in, and she's being flirtatious as well. So, yeah, like, they're so actually kinda, like, oh, and, how, how do I even respond to that? Yeah. Oh, hi. Um, she picks up this one man um, who he's, like, taken into the black space and she kind of, like, strokes his face. And he just says, dreaming. Not I'm dreaming. Just, or I must be dreaming. Just, <laughs> Dreaming. And, and that's the quality this movie has. Oh, yeah. It's very, very um, strange and ethereal. And the longer this creature occupies the body of Scarlett Johansson, the more it becomes curious about human bodies. Yeah. And the uh, due to some sort of complication in the plot, uh, the alien has to sort of stay away from its digestion vehicle for a while and <clears throat> tries to live kind of like a human, mm-hmm. but doesn't really understand the way humans operate or the way human sexuality operates. Yeah. Uh, it's, this is a really great movie f- that takes kind of an objective view of human bodies. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, uh, I feel like took this part specifically because it's kind of an examination of 
the way not just women's bodies are objectified in movies, but specifically the way Scarlett Johansson's body yeah. has been objectified in movies. She's on magazine yeah. covers. She's called yeah. sexiest woman of all time. No, people uh, like, you know, yell at her, like to, mm. to pose for them on red carpets. And that's got to be really fucking weird. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. And there's this whole thing. It's like, what is it like to actually look like mm. this celebrity? What is it yeah. like to stand out this much? Um, so there, there's a lot of uh, shots in this movie of Scarlett Johansson, who who appears nude in the film, yeah. uh, just sort of looking at herself, yeah, trying to sort of unlock what it is. What yeah. is it about this particular biology that so fascinates the world? Like she's trying to unpack her own mm. self-image through this science fiction film about an alien trying mm. to unpack human bodies. Yeah. Uh, and I find that really fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like this meta narrative about fame and object and ob- objectifying people. Yeah. But also, it's really <clears throat> dreamy and strange. Yeah, the word used was ethereal. Yeah. Uh, and it ends on this really terrifying couple oh, yeah, of shots. Really, yeah, really sad too. Mm. Um, this is a movie uh, a lot of people like more than I do. I respect mm. the hell out of it. I All think right. it's an excellent motion picture. I just never really. Uh, it always left me a little cold. And there's another movie where, I don't know, for me, this one, it's technically sci-fi, but it's also one of those ones where if this was just some sort of shadow fantasy demon, you have the same movie. Yeah, yeah. like I so said, I, I'm, it, I'm kind of stretching lines wherever yeah, I want. Which so. is fine, it's your list. It's just one of those things where I'm like, I really, I barely consider this sci-fi, except well, like I, it's it's like sort of excuse for its construction. Here's why I consider it sort of sci-fi, mm. because it's... I think because it appeals more to like the intellect perhaps mm. than the heart. It okay. actually has a, a little bit that. of a strange scientific viewpoint. Mm. Uh, even however dreamy and abstract it is, I feel like it is trying to uh, analyze rather than emotionally unpack. Yeah. Uh, and I, I find that really interesting. I, I think if we look over Scarlett Johansson's career, a lot of her uh, more popular mm. roles or mm. better roles, she plays kind of superhuman or inhuman characters larger than life yeah she she's played uh she played an android in the past mm-hmm. uh she's played you know superhero characters kind of mm-hmm. superhuman characters uh there's something kind of non-human about the way she's cast in movies mm-hmm. well and i think that's true for a lot of the mm-hmm. uh what roles that i think hollywood executives would describe as the female lead the female, right? You, you know, there's, there's a, a a wonderful book out there called "You Play the Girl." Yeah, it's like, oh, I, oh, so I'm, I'm. There's all these other characters, mm-hmm. but I'm the girl. It's a character uh, who, you know, again, there might be someone might care about the yeah. character, but on some level, they're being put on this weird pedestal. They're going to be on the posters, and they're going to be objectified mm-hmm. on the posters. Yeah, yeah. They're going to so, have the, the the outfits that will accentuate things. They're being presented as this kind of weird. Uh, Idol, but in like mm. that, not in not in like a like a fun way, but in like a sort of like a creepy cult kind of way yeah. in some regards. Um, uh, so I know Under the Skin was written and directed by a man, but mm. I feel like it is uh, it, trying to, in this sort of science fiction context, unpack the mm. way we that sort of casting, that kind of characterization of women on film. Yeah. And he's doing so rather cleverly with one of the biggest movie stars in the world. Yeah. Uh, I don't think this movie would have worked if it were not a big movie star mm. uh, who are really willing to sort of play with public image a little bit. Mm. Uh, and so I like all of that interplay between sort of the, the narr- this dreamy narrative within the film and this meta narrative about Scarlett Johansson in particular. Yeah. Um, 
That's a good segue to my next pick because my next pick is also a strange kind of art house auteur kind of motion picture uh-huh. where there's a plot. I'm not sure the plot makes sense. In fact, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. <laughs> but there's it's it's all about sort of creating this sense of I feel like there's a lot of sci-fi that wants to get at like ideas that are beyond our comprehension. Okay. Uh, scientific concepts that are beyond our comprehension. Like, even Scarlett Johansson did a film called Lucy, where she mm. gradually became the smartest person in the world and started right. like thinking on a level that no one like, could. Like uh, a, her brain was like super evolving. Yeah, you know? which was great for car chases. <laughs> That's a, that's, that, that's a Luc Besson film. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin the ending for that movie because oh, yeah. it's completely bizarre. Yeah, it's very she com- continues to evolve and evolve and like can mm. see into like the cosmic consciousness and manipulate information that's mm-hmm. floating through the air. All this ridiculous shit. And uh, eventually, she's just like, I need to help mankind move on to the next thing. I need to pass all this information that's in my gigantic god brain. Mm. And she evolves into a thumb drive. <laughs> yeah. Like, she, she turns into this big, like, sort of mechanical mass of blackness, yeah. and then, like, it all crumbles away, and all that's left is, like, a little USB drive oh, that you so can plug into weird. a laptop. Actually, like, that's her gift. Found object, no less. Mm. That, that, that's yeah. her gift to the universe, is to become a, a computer penis. Thanks, yeah. Luc Besson. But I feel like there is a way to... It's difficult to create a story about things humans have trouble comprehending, uh-huh. because they're made by humans. Right. And it's kind of like that movie Limitless, where the whole point is the character also becomes the smartest person uh, who ever lived, but it's made by people who aren't. And so every plot hole in the movie, every little thing that isn't thought out, becomes extra ridiculous because Mm. the character is supposed to be too smart for that. (laughs) Um, But one of the movies that I think does a really, really good job of creating this overwhelming sense of, I am not in control anymore. A new entity, a new intelligence has been formed and I am weirdly powerless against it and I no longer know what world is being crafted. And that film is Phase 4. <laughs> phase the, 4. The Saul Bass movie. The Saul Bass movie. Ants. Saul Bass, who is one of the greatest... Uh, it's uh, not, nothing to do with Marvel comics. No, no, so. no, no. Saul Bass uh, is one of the greatest graphic designers who ever lived. Uh, just, Just look up... His work, you will find some of the most famous logos movie that we po- all take movie for posters, corporate logos. Yeah, yeah. he did uh, uh, famous uh, uh, opening title sequences to a lot of movies. Um, he only directed one feature film, and that feature film is a story about scientists in the middle of the desert and like this weird, almost like kind of geodesic kind of enclosure, and they are studying ants. Like little ants, but normal like, size, not them, but, giant ants, little ants, and but they're they're like together, like some sort of they created like a hive intelligence. No, they right? created like a hive mind. Like with all the ants together, have a singular intelligence that might be more intelligent than anything else on the planet, and they are creating these like really bizarre, like incredibly complicated, like mathematical designs. Somehow, <laughs> they're creating these these designs. Like and, no, no, I and, mean it though. Like patterns. This movie is amazing at creating the idea that it is in- incredibly intelligent, while not actually explaining fucking anything. And I think that's actually amazing 
because it's got this almost Lovecraftian, I am losing my mind because I know this is supposed to make sense. And I know it probably does, but I know I'm incapable of understanding it. And there's something so shocking. Yes, Luca, I know you like treats. I know you like <laughs> treats, Luca. Yes, I just gave you treats before we started recording. Thank you. He's my cat. Um, what the fuck was I? Yeah, a, they, think things. It's almost cosmic a, a mind is trying to make sense of something. Yeah, your sense. mind is trying to make sense of something that is absolutely beyond its comprehension. And yet, and I think because Saul Bass is a graphic designer, because his work feels so particular. Mm. Um, and this movie is very strangely edited, very staccato, very impressionistic. Um, it feels like there is absolutely a super complicated hypercube design at play here. I have no fucking idea what it is. But what I do know is that it makes me deeply uncomfortable mm. and genuinely disturbed watching it. Yeah. And I think that's a hard thing to pull off. I've already talked about, like, the black hole is oppressive atmosphere, but I understand the plot. The plot is a good sci-fi plot. It's fine. It's just, you know, kind of clunky. This is sci-fi as damn near abstraction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But by God is it terrifying, and I'm pretty sure those ants are doing stuff we don't like. And though there, there are people who die in this movie, somehow ants. That's all I got. <laughs> That's all I can explain to you. But it is absolutely, it's the kind of movie that I feel like everyone should well, try yeah. to see. It might be not for you, and you might figure that out really quickly, but if it is for you, this is mm. gonna fucking blow your mind. <laughs> so strange. Love it. So you like, you like Phase 4? I haven't crew? seen Phase 4. You've never seen Phase 4? No. no it's oh not, my god, you... That one I haven't gone, oh, gotten around to Oh yet. my god, this is this is a Whitney Seibold special. <laughs> like, this, this is this is a dollar off on the menu. Yeah, like, yeah. oh my god. Well, I have a film that, even though I haven't seen Phase 4, does sort of mm. also deal with uh, one's lack of comprehension. Okay. Um, it's maybe only... Art- I get no. I guess it is a science fiction movie, but it's also about uh, like kind of a weird obsession how a mind can be broken trying to understand and unlock patterns that are that exist in the world. It oh. feels like more like a conspiracy thriller as much as it is a, a science fiction movie. But I'm talking about Darren Aronofsky's Pi. Yeah, I think it's a sci-fi uh, movie. I think yeah. it counts. Yeah. Um, this was his first feature. Uh, he. This is how Darren Aronofsky kind of exploded on the scene mm-hmm. in the late '90s, uh, and it's about a, a mathematician who figures that if one looks at any kind of pattern, any kind of chaos... No matter how complicated. A pattern will emerge somehow. And he has so trained his mind that it's actually mutating his brain. Yeah. Like, there's actually this growth on his head. Like, his brain is growing to try to contain these uh, patterns. And oh, at first, the goal is to... Manipulate the stock manipulate market. the stock market. Yeah. Like, figure out if there's... You know, the stock market is this ultimate thing. If he can figure out patterns within the stock market, he can become very, very rich. Uh, the problem is his patterns are also starting to fold into Jewish mysticism and like uh, co- like numerical codes that are hidden within the Talmud. And so he becomes embroiled in this mystery with like this underground cabal of rabbis that are always stalking him. And meanwhile, there's also some mysterious like federal agents, like feds are on his tail. And of course, because this is... Uh, story about paranoia and the gradual breakdown of this main character's mind you can't be sure which of these things are real or hallucinated well uh yeah 
And I think what I love about this movie, well, I love a lot of things about this movie, actually. I, think it's one of, I still think it's one of Darren Aronofsky's best. Yeah. Um, and, and I generally like Darren Aronofsky's work. Mm-hmm. Even when he's doing weird, ambitious stuff, I feel like he's doing interesting stuff. That's, I, that's my thing. There are movies that Darren Aronofsky has made that I hate, actively hate. Oh, well, um, the, the Whale. The Whale, is, uh, I think, yeah. is a genuinely terrible motion picture. But he's never half-assing it. <laughs> he's always going for broke. And I think he started off with this movie here, which is this incredible low-budget, black-and-white, grainy aesthetic that just feels so 90s. And like it just, and he's got like uh, this yeah. like really hip at the time like Aphex Twin kind of electronic yeah. music on the soundtrack. No, no, it it feels like that kind of like low budget futuristic hmm. that I, it's a style I miss. Honestly, I feel hmm. like we don't we need more of that uh, where it's like it's it's all sci fi but it's still all in people's basements. Um, and that's a wonderful oppressive. It's almost like a Kafka esque atmosphere, even though the story isn't Kafka esque. Um, but yeah, what it's about is the idea that human intelligence could expand to the point where it is godlike. Yeah. Uh, but with that are repercussions, and it's also perhaps more than we can handle. Mm. And, I mean, what are we pursuing as a human species? Mm. We're trying to learn more, is, get uh... smarter, understand more, control more. But that doesn't bring us more happiness. It actually brings us, you know... More problems, yeah. you know. Yeah. There's a really great bit in a Futurama episode. Let's bring it up again. Great, uh, where uh, there's a character on it, a professor who's a scientist, and he in the episode he's trying to find the unified field theorem. Yeah, the the one mathematical formula that will unlock every mystery in the universe. Like, will explain everything. Uh, you mm. know, everything in physics, everything in the physical world, can be plugged into this formula and be like decoded essentially. Uh, and at, when he finally and he finally finds it, like he gets like an electron microscope, he looks down like s- s- to such a tiny particle that he's able to sort of unlock the mysteries of creation. And he gets really depressed <laughs> that he found it. It's like, wait a minute, I'm a scientist. There's nothing left to research. Mm. And then he realizes, wait a minute, but what if that's wrong? What if we go into a parallel universe and see if it works there? Okay, let's look into it. And then he finally says at the end of the episode, ultimately. The quest for knowledge is endless and pointless. And then he says, hooray! (laughs) (laughs) It's about pursuing knowledge. It's not about coming to conclusions. And I feel like there's a hubris in uh, an ambition, even when it comes to the sciences. Yeah. Uh, And I I think that's what Pi is sort of floating around. Yeah. Um, In a weird way, that's that's a little like... uh, Imagine, if you will... Uh, Pi, mm. uh, if the protagonist hadn't gone through what they went through in this movie and instead continued to pursue mm-hmm. more strange conceptual heights, the pursuit of enlarging parts of the human brain and our perception so that we could see through dimensions and also really get our kink on. <laughs> so I'm picking from beyond. Okay, from yeah. beyond, I, I thought of from beyond. Yeah, uh, from beyond is it's the goopier school of sci-fi. Yeah, um, from we, beyond. We just did a commentary track for Stuart Gordon's uh, the film he made right before from beyond. Uh, yeah, reanimator. reanimator. And so this is actually one of the reasons why it was kind of foregrounded in my head. Um, 
yeah, over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, some of our uh, uh, patrons are on a tier where they get uh, commentary tracks from us, and uh, one of them was recently for Reanimator. Um, Stuart Gordon, uh, one of the great horror filmmakers, I feel, uh, and just generally a great filmmaker, uh, is one of the few directors to ever actually unlock how to adapt H.P. Lovecraft for the screen. H.P. Lovecraft reveled in cosmic horror. He mm. actually found a way to write about things that could not be written about, and there's something incredibly fascinating about that, and a lot of sci-fi and horror owes his work, uh, I don't know if I say a debt, but mm. like certainly it's a building block. Um, his sci-fi stuff is some of his, ironically, most penetrable stuff. <laughs> uh, because it tends to have some sort of grounding not in the fantastic, in the ancient, in the in the ritualistic, but it has to have some kind of justification mm -hmm. that characters in the present day can understand. So if you look at something like Reanimator, it's about someone who creates a cocktail that, when injected, re uh, reanimates the dead. If you look at Cool Air, that's about uh, using sort of cryogenics to prolong life. Uh, From Beyond uh, is about a, a scientist, a mad scientist, if you will, uh, who creates basically like a supercharged tuning fork. It, it's um, it's based on a, a, an old sort of alchemical theory that yeah. the universe vibrates. Yeah. And if you can match the, the exact vibration, then you mm. can sort of crack, op crack open reality. Yeah. So if, you, if we were able to just vibrate on a different frequency, we would be able to see things that we couldn't normally, that only things that vibrate on that frequency could see. Interesting sci-fi premise. Okay, they're parallel realities living right alongside us. Uh, the parallel realities that are we, we find are full of fucked up monsters. There's a giant fucking worm that's suddenly in like the house's basement and it's eating us and it's and, really fucked up. Well, it, what we don't really count on is, you know, that it, it sort of like takes your mind away and it gives you such weird ideas, like injects them into your brain, that it mutates your body. Yeah. Uh, and, and in fact, it, you actually start to have an enlarged pineal gland yeah, like and a true little tentacle pokes out yeah, through your forehead. Yeah, basically like a giant worm, not giant, but giant for a worm, uh, like starts burrowing through your forehead and it becomes like a new, almost antennae appendage. And that's gross. Hmm. It's really messed up, and it's really fun. Uh, however, H.P. Uh, uh, Lovecraft was not a very sexual storyteller. In fact, the opposite. His, yeah. his stories are actually mostly asexual, and they have very few, uh, very few romantic tales There's of any kind. Female characters. There's, you, yeah. could, you could probably count the number of female characters in an H. In H.P. Lovecraft's canon on one hand, mm. two tops, and he wrote a ton of stories. Um, Stuart Gordon acknowledged that this is a bit of a failing mm. of Lovecraft. It's sort of like an inability to imagine outside of his own tiny little bubble. And so he mercifully creates like opportunities to cast Barbara Crampton, who is one of the horror's great luminaries of the later, uh, of the later 20th century and still working today and doing wonderful work. Uh, she plays as a scientist who is intrigued by this work. This uh, mad scientist who has gone missing, Jeffrey Combs is his assistant... He's accused of doing terrible things, and they decide to all go to the mad scientist's house, investigate his materials, and see if they can recreate the experiment in order to prove that Jeffrey Combs isn't mad. Uh, it also turns out that the mad scientist, in an effort to sort of expand his consciousness, is into a lot of kinky shit. Mm. And 
that's a bit of a digression. I'm not going to lie. Like, the excuse that they come up with to get Barbara Crampton into fetish gear is unnecessary and elaborate. And yet, somehow, it all kind of feels like it's part of this tapestry of people inching into realms that they're not comfortable with, Mm. but finding themselves simultaneously repulsed and fascinated. And that goes for human sexuality, but it also goes for the human body as a whole. It goes to the human consciousness, and it goes to literally all of reality itself. It's not the most sophisticated science fiction movie ever. It's uh, pretty blunt and gory and goopy. It mm. does, however, have some of the best monster effects this side of John Carpenter. Oh, absolutely. Like, oh, and, uh, it's glorious. It's uh, gl- glorious. Gor- it is glorious. It's not just glorious, it's, it's glorious. I love that, actually. Um, uh, Whoops, and but awesome. Some some horrible things happen to the Jeffrey Combs character oh in the movie. Oh my god, he, does he got to have a hard time. Yeah. My god. Uh, yeah, it's just super strange and wonderful. And I, in case you haven't noticed, I like my sci-fi horror strange. Yeah. I don't like it just like, oh, we're stuck on a ship and there's a monster. Like, I, I like that too. But like, yeah. I like it when it's like sci-fi doesn't feel restrained by genre. Yeah. And actually like goes to the full limits. Even if it's messy, even if parts of it don't work. That's what fascinates me is this, mm-hmm. taking this excuse to go full bore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of, uh, oh no, there's a monster on a spaceship. Ooh. Um, I mean, I, I kind of have to talk about Alien. Uh, yeah, this is one I was like, is this just too much of a cliche? Well, here, but it's great. Here, here's it's what great. I'm going to do. I'm, uh, because I'm going to mention mm-hmm. Alien, and mm-hmm. I'm going to put it on the same line as Prometheus. So uh, it's a tie between it's Alien and Prometheus. It's a tie between Alien and Prometheus. Interesting choice. Okay. Um, because uh, the, those are... Uh, t- t- I'm not a big fan of Ridley Scott in general. Sure. But he's, he's made a few films he's, that I actually really, really like. Yeah, uh, he's really hit or miss, and, but, but and his I, hits are great. I, and I feel like he's one of those filmmakers who's uh, who's only going to be as good as a screenplay. Like, he can do really good visual stuff, but if a screenplay sucks, the movie sucks. And yep. he's not just not going to be an interesting filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, Alien, uh, I don't really need to talk about, you know, Alien. It's, it's one of the most knocked off movies in film history. Yeah. Uh, what I appreciate about Alien is sort of how down to earth it is, even though it's set in space on mm-hmm. a spaceship. Uh there's all this weird naturalness to that movie that Ridley Scott hasn't done in any of his other movies yeah. where the characters are just sort of wearing plain clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, they talk over each other. There's this kind of uh, lived in quality to that movie that his other movies all feel very sort of mannered and constructed. And that's the thing that I think is most fascinating. Like we talk a lot about like mm. sort of H.R. Giger's really strange mm. kind of eroticized monster designs. Uh, we talk a lot about the films, you know, rampant misogyny and anti-capitalist concepts. Mm. But on a purely like constructed level, mm. I think one of the great things that Alien uh, did was create a very scientific, very sci-fi futuristic we're in space there's all this shit we don't understand technologically but makes it work a day this is a blue collar film of basically truckers in space who were told on their cb radio hey we got a distress call on an alien planet would you mind checking that out i'm like really that's not what we do (laughs) but if you give us a bonus okay here's the strange thing about the the world of alien first of all uh there's a bunch of sequels to this movie yeah and uh some are good some some of them are good some of them are bad um the logic of like the interior logic of this movie doesn't make any sense like these people are on these uh very long space voyages yeah on ships that they're not going they're, they're, they're in not hyperdrive. going super fast yeah. 
So they have to put the crew in hypersleep so they yeah. can get up and do their work. They're miners. Like they just they need like yeah. ore of some kind. It's never yeah. really explained what it is or what they're, it's going to be used just, They're for. hauling stuff. Yeah, they're hauling yeah. stuff. And then they go back into hypersleep to take it back to Earth. Yeah. My guess is they're gone from Earth for literally centuries. Like, by the time at they get decades. back... At so least decades. At least decades. I mean, I'm sure they're going yeah. pretty fast, but, like, at least decades. Yeah, there's a, a wrinkle in the director's cut of James Cameron's follow-up film. Where it's mm. like, oh, yeah, I was away from, like, 50 years. Like, isn't that par for the course for this? Yeah. That's the, the impression I got. Um, yeah. I also got the impression uh, from the first movie alone that the alien creature would probably starve to death after like three days. Like it's probably not a long lived creature. It's like a <laughs> bug, you know, it just, yeah. it, it hatches, it kills a bunch and then it just dies. Well, it's, it's on a, it's uh, stuck on a ship. Like if it had just killed everybody, yeah, maybe it would have. Yeah, but it might've just, it's, it might've gone in the people. Cause it, it has a mouth in its mouth. It's not like it's, swallowing people and using them as sustenance. We never really see them eat. Yeah. I got the impression that because it's got it's got a mouth and then inside there's like this like mouth that like juts out mm. and like bites you. I got the impression that that's like for like almost like hollowing out like it eats your brains. Okay. Like it like pushes that thing through your eye and it sucks out your brains or something like that. Like oh. that's probably because it's definitely not a chewing beast. Yeah. It's got to be a I make a cut. And then I suck it out. It's, it's, like, it's, that's got... Which, I'm sorry about all of this, <laughs> by the way. But that's the only way the alien creature makes yeah, sense. Well, so it has I'm, to sustain itself somehow. Yeah, and, and everybody's familiar with... It. Like, Geeker's design, it's hard to appreciate as being as weird as it is, because... Yeah. It's like, become iconic. Yeah, that, that that creature's on, like, arcade games now. Yeah. You know, people know what it looks like. Um, mm. and, and I really like it as a pairing with Prometheus. Uh, Ridley mm. Scott came back in 2012 and did a, this prequel film that takes place um like about a couple decades before the the events of the film alien i mean there's a flashback yeah. that takes place a long time before but yeah it takes place yeah. before the. well the, there's also a, a flashback to free prehistory for that's history. what i mean but no, yeah. yeah yeah um but yeah as, as it turns out um there's a, a there was a theory floated in alien that they kind of just sort of ran with in a lot of the sequels and that's that the creatures aren't like sentient beings they don't have a civilization mm -hmm. they're like constructed they're, they're constructed weapons like they were yeah. they were meant in order to just cause death the only thing um, these things are good for biologically yeah. is kill is kill and, yeah. and so ridley scott took that concept and made it the center of prometheus mm -hmm. uh this group of astronauts went to a planet to find the source of a signal and they found uh, sort of this ex long extinct civilization and the storehouse of other creatures that were also clearly weaponized in this mysterious kind of a way. Yeah. And it was about these characters trying to find like, why, why, what was happening? What would do that now? Mm -hmm. And also like possibly mm -hmm. investigating whether those creatures are responsible for life on our planet. Are yeah, we created? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and indeed we are. The prologue showed yeah. that one of these creatures that looks like a, a marble statue, yeah. uh, like, D dissolves its own body to sort of spread human DNA onto Earth. Yeah. And uh, so R Ridley Scott, uh, he he is subtle about this and that he's hiding a lot of the information, but he's not subtle about it's it and how, how sophisticated the idea is. But I like the idea okay. uh, that these creatures, these like statuesque creatures, created these weapons as a retaliation against humans for killing Jesus Christ. 2000 years ago mm. uh there's a lot of christmas imagery there's a lot of christ imagery there's uh, some discussions of faith going on uh it's a big 
mushy mess of it's all these kind of interesting ideas. Yeah, of like big heavy ideas. And boy, I, here's my thing with Prometheus. So it, it doesn't like wholly function as a thriller. It doesn't no. wholly function as an essay. No. But I appreciate the way that Ridley Scott is trying to mash a bunch of interesting mm. stuff together. And I think yeah. it's actually ultimately pretty effective. I mean, look, I picked the black hole. I can't mm. judge you here. But yeah. Prometheus doesn't quite work for me. Here's what I love about Prometheus. Mm. The whole aesthetic. Yeah, it It's looks a fantastic great. looking film. It feels epic and lots of wonderful incredibly scary images there's, there's a lot of good mood i like oh, the yeah. pace of the movie oh, yeah. it's just it's, it's one a... of the best looking sci-fi films ever mm-hmm. i'll give it that it's fantastic um the plot that it has is unlike something like the black hole it's kind of announcing its greatness we see the humans like all of life on earth basically mm. begin yeah, yeah at the beginning and then everything else that happens after that kind of undermines like how <laughs> it, thoughtful and intelligent that premise is because mm. there's a lot of people doing very insipid things things mm. that make no sense on any level just so that scary things can happen and uh, for me I, for I, me I, I find that a little distracting simply because the movie is clearly clearly thinks it's really smart and I'm not that, entirely convinced that it is and so I'm a little distracted for a lot of it, it it's not entirely smart I agree that the characters behave in sort of like in a little illogical fashion but luckily I'm okay with the scares that it's keen on creating sure. and the the weird sense of mystery that's around it that I'm willing to sort of overlook a lot of that. I know a lot of people aren't. Mm. Um, uh, but when it comes to sort of big, heady science fiction concepts, like mm. where did we come from? Did aliens create us? Yeah. Why did they create us? And why are they trying to destroy us? And why are they using these really genital-looking creatures <laughs> to do that sort of yeah. destruction? What is their... And, uh, there's a really uh, fun exchange where um, one character is an atheist and one character is a Christian. Yeah. And the Christian character finds, you know, the species of aliens definitely created life on Earth. They made humans. Yeah. To the atheist character, it's like, okay, surely this is scientific proof that God didn't create people. Mm. These other biological beings did. And her, uh, her only response is, well, who created them? Yeah, it's like uh, it's, it's that whole yeah. argument about like you know, the knowledge mm. is the pursuit of knowledge is never yeah. ending and never satisfying. Exactly. Yeah, so, uh, it works. It works I, on both I, angles. So I, I kind of like that little interplay. Um, something that we kind of have to take for granted that we learned from Ridley Scott's '79 <laughs> Alien film is that androids are dodgy. You can't trust yeah. them. Uh, <laughs> there's no reason for the android to be dodgy in Prometheus, other than androids are generally dodgy. Yeah. Well, in that case, you learn plot-wise that it has programming that hmm. everyone else isn't aware of. It's kind of like the same thing with HAL in uh, 2001 yeah. A Space Odyssey, where uh, they don't. it's implied, but they only really explain in 2010, which is pretty good, by the way. It's obviously nowhere near Kubrick's film, but if you've never seen it because you thought it sucked, it doesn't suck. It's actually pretty interesting. 2010's all right. Yeah, it's, it's got some cool ideas. And one of the things they actually do is they try to figure out what the hell went wrong with HAL, and it turns out it had conflicting programming. Hmm. It was told to... Preserve the mission at all costs, but it that that creates like this gray area where it's like goal to protect the crew might be getting in the way of the mission, and now mm. it has to make decisions that it wasn't designed to make yeah. all by itself with no one yeah. to run them by because those missions are secret and it made terrible choices. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's like kind of so like yeah, that. I, so it's I, a, he's got weird programming. Yeah, I, I like Alien. I like Prometheus. Mm-hmm. I don't like Alien Covenant. Uh, oh, Alien Covenant's terrible. Alien, gorgeous, but 
oh, it's terrible. So, some yeah. some fun monsters, but yeah. that's kind of all you got. Yeah, I I, I love aliens and, and the scene with oh, yeah. the, the two Michael Fassbenders. Like, oh yeah, he's doing fun. great work in that. But I, I love aliens. I think aliens is great. I have a lot of fondness for Alien Three and how mm-hmm. bleak it is. I even like the really goopy weirdness of Alien Resurrection, even though it's not a good movie, <laughs> but it is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. I think Alien is just one of those unassailable. I'm glad you picked it because yeah, like, I only gave myself a couple. Of giant unassailable classics, yeah. and I'll just go right into one of those as well. Um, it's a movie that I think is sometimes overshadowed by its sequel, much like Alien, actually. Yeah, and that uh, both uh, sequels were directed by James Cameron. Uh, but I think the, in many respects, the better movie, but certainly the better horror movie, mm. is The Terminator. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. The Terminator it's, it's, is a slasher like, movie. kind of like a slasher, slasher yeah. element to it. Yeah, the, the Terminator, we, we think of it now as like this big action franchise because that's what Terminator <laughs> 2 did, and that's what all the other ones that followed did. But the original Terminator is, it's got action stuff, but it's all very one-sided. It's about a juggernaut. Mm. It is not give and take, we have a chance against it. It's basically, there is an unstoppable killing machine that has been sent back in time to kill someone who has no idea why they're even being targeted. And the reason is because in the future, they will give birth to someone who will save humanity from a robot invasion. She is absolutely unprepared to defend herself against a robot, and one human goes back in time. She's played by Linda Hamilton, the hero is played by Michael Bean, the Terminator is played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. He goes back in time to try to save her from this killer robot, and the best he can do is stay on the run, because the robot is so unstoppable. And unfortunately, because all of this is nonsense, nobody believes him. She doesn't believe him, God knows the cops don't believe him, and that leaves them completely open to an unstoppable killing machine just rampaging through everything because nothing (laughs) fucking matters. It doesn't have to pretend, it doesn't have to be coy, it only has has to like sneak around in order to complete its objective all it matters is killing sarah connor yeah and uh, it will do anything to do that it will kill anyone to do that it is a big time travel gigantic action-packed slasher movie and it's fucking great it's so intense <laughs> it's so overwhelming the, you really uh, feel like they're completely screwed the entire movie yeah, and, and it's it's kind of weird to think that james cameron you know the avatar guy <laughs> yeah uh used to shoot movies like on this scale, like yeah. something that's actually this like intimate. From what I understand, uh, there was a scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger like broke a car window. Yeah, they didn't like that. They didn't get permits for that. They no. just sort of parked and filmed gorillas. Like James Cameron used to film yeah. gorillas. Now it it's was, pretty it's amazing. Not a, I mean, it, it was um, not a cheap movie, but it yeah. wasn't an expensive movie. Either. I've I've argued in the past that. Um, there's scenes where uh, Michael Bean like talks about where he came from and what like the war was like in the future and what happened before he came back in the past. Yeah. And there are scenes that uh, sort of cut to the future and mm. show uh, show like wh- what life was like for yeah. him a little bit as a soldier. Um, I think the film would be a lot more effective without those scenes if mm. if there was still always going to be a question of credibility and it wouldn't be until the end where we saw like. Or, or I guess partway through the movie where he saw like the the uh, mm. monster skeleton like sort of poking through Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger's flesh, mm. that 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 would be confirmed. I see what your point here, and, and, that's and also it would also keep uh, Linda Hamilton a little bit off balance. True. However, 
part of what happened, like James Cameron also decided to write in this sort of like sexual causality loop. Yeah. Where uh, the Michael, Michael Bean, Bean character is actually the, is actually father, like of the... the father of the character that's going to be born. Yeah. He didn't need to have that plot. No, he didn't. Uh, and, and honestly, that right, I think that's actually kind of awesome and, mm. and a very, yeah, I took this from Harlan Ellison and he sued and now his name is on the movie because <laughs> I bragged about that in Starlog or something and I, whoops. Um, but, <clears throat> There's something about that that makes it feel even more oppressive because you're trapped. Yeah. There's no getting out of this loop, which is one of the reasons why I feel as much as I love Terminator 2. Terminator 2 kicks ass. It's a great <laughs> fucking movie. But I'm, I'm a sucker for Terminator, Terminator 2. Terminator 2 that, is awesome. That, that liquid robot monster oh is so awesome. And it's so inventive. Yeah. The action sequences are amazing to this day. It holds up so fucking well. Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. One of the, of all like the blockbusters of the 90s. Like very few hold up as well as Terminator 2. Um, but Terminator 2 is all about desperately trying to break out of a causality loop. Yeah. And the possibility is suggested at the end of it that maybe they did, but mm. they don't know because they can't see the future. There was original ending shot, originally an ending shot that confirmed that they did avoid that future. And then oh, James really? Cam- okay. Oh, yeah, it's on the DVD. You can see it's like it's like Linda Hamilton in not very good old age makeup oh, looking I at like it. that playground she imagined like being on oh, fire. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. like after Judgment Day, obviously she lived mm-hmm. longer and, you know, we we stopped Judgment Day. Isn't that great? And James Cameron's like, no, that's unsatisfying. So they just L- added this. a little ambiguous. Yeah, so he just had this whole like just like but shot I'm, of like driving down a road at night not knowing. And that's works. That's what I like about yeah. Terminator 2 is that they actually like prevented war until you get to Terminator 3. Exactly, but that's yeah. the thing. I'll, and I and I kind of admire Terminator 3 for having this incredibly nihilistic approach to it, like going back to that bootstrap mm. paradox where even if Michael Bean hadn't gone back in time, Skynet still would have been invented. Yeah. And John Connor probably would have been a different kid with like a different mm. dad, but it, all of this was going to happen regardless, and it just feels absolutely futile. And I really admire how daringly depressing the ending of Terminator Three is. Yeah, but then you get the Terminator Four, where we see actually see the future. Yeah, and, and it's um, like kind of there's some cool shit in it. I'm not going to pretend otherwise, but it's also not good. And it, it the premise starts falling apart because the Skynet realizes that like, oh wait, if we kill the Michael Bean character played in that movie by Anton Yelchin, he'll never go back in time, and Sir John Connor will never be born. So let's kidnap him and use him as bait for the John Connor of today. What are you doing? <laughs> what That's, are you thinking? Uh, Why? Anyway, the original purity mm-hmm. of that original movie, where it just it's a self-contained thing. Yeah, stalker it, movie. Yeah. Is so much more effective, I feel. And even though I love Terminator 2, this is because it was always a causality loop, because it was always so tight, because it was always like just basically like this bitter story about men trying to control a woman's reproductive system. Like, it should never have been franchised. Like, no, I get why you think it should have no, been. It's got it's... cool iconography and robots and shit. Sequels make mm. no sense. Terminator Here's... 2, you made it work, and that was a miracle. It doesn't function no, I, as it. I you're constantly, it... everyone's like, oh, it always repeats itself. It's a paradox. Of course it repeats itself. That's what that's ingrained into the concept. You can't get away from that. And, and I've long held that, uh, and, and I, this would mean sort of scrapping the Terminator 2 we got, which is a movie I actually quite enjoy. Sure. But um, the way you, if you want to make sequels to that, mm-hmm. you just set it, that's a time travel story, right? Yeah. You just set it prior to that. Yeah. It's like, what would happen if uh, the Terminator went back in time to kill Sarah Connor's grandmother? Uh huh. Like well, in, in they, the they toyed with that in Genesis. We just didn't yeah. really see it. 
Just do it more. Like the, yeah. the sequel, Terminator 2 is set in the 1950s. Can you imagine yeah. a Terminator storming around the 50s? That's great. Yeah. Terminator 3, set in the 1850s. Why not? Yeah. Go back to the old west. Back and to the, and then he like fights Doc Brown and back to the future. Yeah, the, then yeah. you can have one in like Roman times. I don't yeah. think, you be just send awesome. robots like Basically you're talking about Prey. Thing. You're talking yeah. about Prey, but for Terminator. Sure. Yeah, it's awesome. Just, just do that. Have the Terminator go back further and further in time. You have these fun yeah. historical action thrillers. Yeah. Anyway, great. You have the same cast, the same generations. They all look the same. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I also have like a high octane horror movie, which I know you don't like. Uh, and I'm going to talk briefly about Event Horizon. Oh, um, this. <laughs> I know you don't like Event Horizon. It's what it is. Uh, Event Horizon uh, takes place in the future. Very popular movie. Oh, people uh, love this movie. Yeah, and, and I'm, feel, I'm in the I minority feel, on this. I feel this. like people, people kind love of, it. like, it, it came out, it got, like, sort of a small audience, and people have been coming around ever since, so it's pretty popular by now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it came out in the late 90s. Um, it stars a pretty good cast. Lawrence Fishburne, mm-hmm. Sam Neill is in it. Kathleen uh, Jack, Quinlan. Kathleen Quinlan. Uh, Joe, Jolie Fisher? No, not Jolie Fisher. Who's, oh, not, who, not, um, no, no, no. Who's it? Okay, hold on. I'm just going to drop me nuts. You, I had it until you said ah, it. I'm sorry. Uh, Jack Noseworthy is in it as Jack, well. Oh, um, of course. Well, if it's, if it's the late 90s, it must be Jack Noseworthy. Jolie, Jack Noseworthy is in Terminator 3 as well. Oh, yes. Uh, Jolie Richards. No. Um, That's what I was thinking. Okay, you know, I'm looking it up. I'm just going right. to grab you up the wall. Uh, uh, the, 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 the one Jolie Richardson. Jolie Richardson. Yeah, right. okay, we're not crazy. Um, there you go. Jason Isaacs. Jason, that's Sean Pertwee. Good cast. It takes place in the future. Um, uh, some brilliant scientists created a, a, a ship called the Event Horizon, faster than light travel ship. Uh, and for some reason, they designed it to look like Notre Dame Cathedral. It's in the shape of a cross. Uh-huh. Uh, and they stole that from the black hole. They, yeah, they kind yeah, of did. They, yeah. but, it works. It's great. Um, I'm just saying. But the idea was uh, the ship on its inaugural uh, voyage vanished. Like it, it's supposed to push through a dimensional porthole and appear some elsewhere in the galaxy. Like, like kind simultaneously. Of, simultaneously, like kind of yeah. like, it's a warp engine, essentially. Yeah. But it warps into subspace and it vanishes. Yeah. And then uh, years later, it reappears way out near Neptune. And uh, now it needs to be investigated. So a new team of yeah. astronauts goes out there to investigate it. And they're like and, a salvage ship. These are like yeah. grunts. It's like the Armageddon crew with mm-hmm. one scientist played by yeah. Sam Neill. A uh, lot, of, lot of like hard angles and still like this is not the enterprise it's not steelier no, or not it, like not posh and comfortable n- nothing about this ship was designed for functionality no I, it's, it's all, it's all, sh- it's like, all designed to look scary as shit what were you thinking sam neil I, I, uh, <laughs> why does why do like the razor sharp spikes on that what what purpose does that serve scientifically like oh well you, uh, people need gashes in their shins i suppose uh <laughs> So yeah, this uh, team of astronauts goes out to find the event horizon. It's just got the like, it's just got evil all over it oh, now. Yeah. And it turns out um, they like go in and they investigate. And there's this weird sort of intelligence that's floating, free floating yeah. intelligence that can read their thoughts. And they start seeing these weird ghostly images. Maybe they're hallucinations. It's their fears come not. alive. Yeah, they're it, it's that it's galaxy and, of terror. Ga- it's galaxy of terror, yeah. and it, it's Solaris. It's yeah. a concept that's been done before, but. Uh, and of course, it turns out that when this ship went into another dimension to travel, it went into hell yeah. and came out on the other side. There was like hell still hanging yeah. around on it. Um, it's Doom. It's uh, it's Doom, but in a ship instead of Mars. It's way fucking better than Doom. Is okay, what well, is. better um, than the movie. I'll give you. That. Oh, well, I've, I haven't played the games, but yeah. uh, it's yeah, it's it's better than the movie. But basically, game. yeah, we created a portal. It's supposed to like allow us to teleport, but it actually sends us through hell. Hmm. Um, I think the earliest version I've actually seen of that was actually in the New Mutants comic book. Oh yeah, there's this character Magic who could teleport, but like the first time she did it, she was a little girl, mm. and she teleported, but she didn't come out the other side, mm. and then she like came back a few minutes later, and now she's like 
18 and she spent her whole life growing up raised by demons in hell. <laughs> really fucking awesome. It was the character uh, Anya Taylor-Joy played in that movie. Yeah. yeah. No, um, weird weird freaking movie. That weird one. fucking movie. Uh, um, yeah. I, I am fond of Event Horizon. I just like its tone. I like those sharp angles. I love the design. Oh, the designs uh, it's, are cool. It's Paul, Paul W.S. Anderson did this one uh, before he before he proved himself to be quite the hack that he is. But um, <laughs> I, I, I like a lot of Paul W.S. Anderson. I like a lot of his I, I appreciate that he's got this weird... Uh, my, my take on, like sci-fi and horror is somehow filtered through like a perfume ad where everything is simultaneously gorgeous and scary at the same time. It's it's gorgeous. It's scary. And, uh, and I think, and I'm using this word complimentarily when I'm talking about, uh, event horizon, but it's incredibly overwrought. Oh yeah. Uh, It's It's really, it's like super operatic. Mm. Everything's like really super gory. Uh, evidently there were scenes that were so gory they had to be cut and they yeah, were like never this, able to restore like them. of the original crew and what happened yeah, to them and I mean, you see like and, little flashes and, and it's like, like hellraiser tortures yeah. people's bodies are being torn apart yeah. um, but I like how overwrought it is I like sort of how high octane and how action packed it is it's always moving yeah uh, which is you would it's think fast, would be antith- antithetical to horror, but I think it actually kind of works here because it's it's like going into a haunted house, and it has mm. that sort of thrill ride quality that I like in horror movies. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm still very fond of Event Horizon, even though I know you're not. Here's my thing with Event Horizon. I've, mm. I've this is a movie. This is one of those movies where I saw it. I really wanted to like it. I love the premise. It looked really really cool. Cast was great. It just didn't work for me. And I saw it like, right. shortly after it came out. I didn't see it in theaters. Saw it on home video right after. And it just didn't work. I wasn't into it. And then people kept talking about, like, oh, yeah, this is one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. I'm like, really? Okay, well, maybe I'll rewatch it. I have, at the behest of other people who love it and say that I missed something, watched this movie five times. <laughs> and you're, every, you're done. I think you're I, good. I, I've but, given yeah. it the college try. I've given it the grad student try. Okay, I've given it the post-grad try. I appreciate that there are things this movie does well. I think it's the cinematography is gorgeous. Production design is fantastic. That's good shit. I'm not going to pretend otherwise. Uh, the cast is fantastic. My problem is, I think the script really lets them down. Hmm. The premise is strong. The premise is kick-ass. But if you're going to rely all of your real f- terror in your movie on bringing a character's fears to life, very explicitly their phobia, like, oh, I'm afraid of fire, that kind of thing. So now there's a fire guy. And, and you know, they explore the trauma that led to those fears no, as well. No, that's my problem, is they think they do that very superficially. Well, I think there's, yeah, some, there's some, a bunch, bunch of characters, they just sort of explain it. And then I appreciate it, yeah. that, and as a result, all of those fears feel very perfunctory to me. Mm. And you've got a great cast. I feel like if you weren't so interested in keeping this thing going like a raucous thrill ride, and if you had been willing to let this be kind of thoughtful and contemplative sometimes, <laughs> then all of those things where people's fears came to life would feel like an actual fear come to life rather than a bullet note on a flashcard on a board yeah. somewhere. Fire. Mm. Okay, we'll do a fire thing, I guess. Boom. It, it, it plays with that level of intelligence and insight into that which makes us scared. It's very superficial to me. Also, there's one moment in this movie that I cannot forgive where uh, there's a character who is, they're on a ship and things are going to go real haywire real fast. Yeah. And someone has been possessed by something and they're sabotaging stuff. And this ship that they're on or this room that they're in is going to blow up. There's like a self-destruct device. And he's just like, he's got to like get to the self-destruct device. The clock is ticking. The timer is running out. And he gets to the self-destruct device. And when he opens it, Mm. it's got five seconds oh. <laughs> left and he just goes oh 
and then he dies, and it's sad, right? And it would be a lot sadder if right underneath the timer, design issue. There's actually like a button that says deactivate on it that you could have pressed, and that doesn't take five seconds to press that fucking button. It's right fucking there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? All this effort you went into designing this, you put like the world's biggest fucking plot Mm. hole ever. You're telling me that if you're like, see a big machine that's going to blow up and there's a button that just says deactivate, you've only got a couple of seconds left, you're not going to at least try the button? You're not going to (laughs) try? Jesus. Okay. It, it, it's it, it's a little the, detail, but yeah. Uh, I don't think it's that little, but anyway. That, that well, I mean, the, 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 the camera, like, it flashes pretty quick. I know, I know, I know. But it's still bright and right yeah. and right. It, it, you would, you would, you could easily see it. The, the images of insanity are really disturbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has a really wonderfully mm-hmm. disturbing ending. Um, a lot of people put this one in. Uh, a Sam Neill insanity trilogy. Oh yeah, with possession and in the mouth of possession madness. in the mouth of yeah. madness and this like yeah. all kind of like line up. Um, I love Sam Neill, great actor, yeah. underappreciated. Um, I also so, love in the mouth of madness. Oh, in the mouth of madness, not sci-fi, but it's awesome. Um, I'm gonna go from I'm gonna pick a film that I think is I, I picked that's really raucous as well. But unlike Event Horizon, it doesn't pretend that it's terrifying. Uh-huh. It's an alien monster movie, but it's got kind of a fun twist. And it's still gory. It still has like a bunch of like you know scary stuff in it, but it's a bit more like action sci-fi horror. Uh, and it's Jack Shoulders, The Hidden. Oh, The Hidden's fun. Hidden kicks ass. Yeah. Um, so The Hidden is about uh, an alien criminal who can take over your body, crash lands on Earth or lands on Earth on purpose. I forget. Um, and basically decides, well, human beings can't do shit to me. Because I'll just like hop into another body and just keep doing whatever I want. So I'm just going on a crime spree. I'm just doing whatever I want. I'm going to steal fast cars. I'm going to rob banks. I'm going to kill whoever I want to kill. And if something gets inconvenient, I'm just going to hop into a different body. And I'm going to steal another fast car. And it's going to be fucking great. And there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, I am I, a little bit baffled by a being that has come to from another planet and has clearly mastered space travel would be excited by fast cars uh-huh. on earth. I think is, it's isn't this, that like Picard and his dune buggy. I think it's like the same reason why people might visit Westworld for vacation. All right. You know, it's just yeah. like, you know, I, I, I have a fast car, but I want to go on a go-kart that kind of, yeah. Stuff. Like that's yeah. like, or like, you know, I have, I have, you know, I have a fast car, but uh, you know, let's. I also want to ride a horse and like pretend I'm a cowboy, rooting tooting. All right. You know, I think it's that kind of thing. So like, we are an under uh, uh, an underdeveloped planet that they could just use as their playground, and mm. they do. Uh, and uh, there is a detective played by Michael Nouri, a human detective who is on the case, but he's completely outmatched. He's a smart guy. He's a good detective, but. He's totally outmatched. And his new partner, played by Kyle McLaughlin, basically doing his Twin Peaks role before he did his Twin Peaks role. Playing this very spacey... Uh, Serious-minded, but a little bit peculiar. Yeah, like uh, constantly fascinated by everything. Just kind of of alien uh, uh, detective. Uh, And it's a buddy cop comedy where, like, he's, like, the rough and tough, like, regular guy. And then uh, Kyle McLaughlin is a bit more uh, straight-laced by the book. And then it turns out, you pick up on this immediately, Kyle McLaughlin is also an alien. And he's a detective alien who is undercover on Earth to try to to kill the other alien. It's so much fun. 
I love this movie. It's like uh, it's like if like um like an alien saw the movie Heat and it was just like I want to do the Heat stuff. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go to Earth and I'm gonna just do all the shit that I saw in the movie Heat. And Calvin Clockin's there to stop him. It'd be a good double feature with the movie. Um, it's been re-released under a title which I don't think works called Dark Angel. But when it came out in theaters, oh, it's called peace, it's yeah. called I Come in Peace, which is awesome. And that one has a better justification where an alien comes to Earth and. They're killing people in order to steal chemicals from our brains that aliens use as narcotics. Yeah, this, and and it has to be while like while we're dying. Like, yeah, that's like, when we like, produce. So he kills like, people, and while they're dying, sucks this yeah. fluid out of their brains and Dolph, stores it in little vials and takes it home to like as a drug dealer. And Dolph Lundgren and Brian Benben, brilliant casting by the way. Cast a guy who's like six foot eight and the guy who's like five foot one, like. They're, they're off to stop them, and they are fucked. Uh, also good, a triple feature with Predator 2, which is a similar premise. But, um, yeah, anyway. The Hidden, underappreciated, fucking awesome. Uh, here, here's a one. <laughs> that's, that's my... Uh... <laughs> I, su- I suppose it is. That's, yes. that's, my, uh, that's my linking material. I love it. Here, here is a film. Uh, you should introduce movies. Here's well, a one. Well, welcome to the American Cinematheque. Here's a one. <laughs> um, this is it's a sci-fi horror movie. I hope so. But it's so. also an autobiography. All right, I guess Ooh. it's a film adaptation of an autobiography. Oh. Um, uh, well, Whitley Stryber, in oh. 1987, wrote a really fantastic book. Yeah. Uh, that told the true story of his alien abduction. It was mm. called Communion. Yeah. And uh, in 1989, uh, Philip Mora uh, made uh, Communion into a feature film with yeah. Christopher Walken as the Whitley Stryber character. Yeah. Um, it's And this was like prior to the X-Files. This was prior to sightings. This was when sort of what's now kind of really familiar alien... Ab- <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus, winning really familiar alien abduction lore Mm -hmm. uh is it like it's really familiar now but this is before that kind of came into vogue and uh yeah this sort of tells the story of whitley stryber's at home and there's uh a weird presence and he like vanishes in the middle of the night and he wakes up and Mm -hmm. he has all the missing time and over the course of the film he starts to realize sort of what happens to him and the film comes to a very satisfying conclusion where he's conscious and he gets to meet aliens but until then, it is this kind of harrowing personal mystery where he thinks he's kind of losing his mind. Yeah. And of course, the actual abduction sequences are utterly horrifying. Now, I've actually never seen Communion. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard the legends of yeah. Communion. I've seen the cover of Communion a whole bunch of times. Communion is one of those things that I have heard so much about. It has so sort of codified, maybe not the genre, but like the concept that we take for granted. Uh-huh. About alien sort of first contact and abductions on Earth, um, that yeah, a lot of things mentioned the X Files, whatever feels like. You've heard of Communion, right? Yeah, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. Hmm. How does it compare with a movie that didn't make my list, but I thought about it? I almost put it on my oh, list. Yes. Uh, and I suspect if you put Communion on your list, you didn't put this on too. Uh, Fire in the Sky. Uh, it's it's not like Fire in the Sky. Okay. Uh, Fire... Fire in the Sky was was a kind of a seminal 
horror film moment for our generation when it came out because <laughs> it's about a guy it's, it's, mm. it's an allegedly I actually thought you were going here mm. it's an allegedly true story about uh, a group of friends they were in the woods one of their friends uh, got went missing mm-hmm. and for most of the movie in Fire in the Sky you don't know what happened to that guy You know, they don't yeah. show you what happened other than may he, we, they think he was abducted by aliens but we don't know and it's all about like the sort of community suspecting that they killed their friend or that they're covering something up and it isn't until he reappears at the end and shares his story and then we see in vivid detail what he claims happened hmm. and it's fucking terrifying <laughs> uh, it's uh it, it's one of the scariest like climaxes of any movie yeah I've, I've heard a lot of people describe fire in the sky as like a, a one scene movie because that's mm. the the part you take away as his experience yeah. aboard the alien craft it's actually a pretty good small town drama about yeah. suspicion and uh, how it, it's about lumberjacks. These guys all sort of work in the woods and they all kind of hate each other. Like they're <laughs> friends, but they all hate each other. And yeah. Uh, yeah, they have this kind of really antagonistic relationship. So as soon as one of them goes missing, the entire town assumes that they just murdered this guy yeah. and hit his body somewhere. And their their cover story was that he was abducted by aliens. Uh, so the, yeah, there's all these uh, town meetings where they like yeah. that the the guy the suspects aren't invited to. Yeah. They're hooked up to polygraph machines. The cops are investigating. All of that's really interesting, and yeah. it would have been a pretty fine movie if we didn't get that alien sequence. The but, problem is the alien sequence is so intense. Yeah, that that's kind of any the only thing people take away from but it. But here's the thing: I think the fact that it's the thing people take away from it, mm-hmm. the fact that there's a movie that you want to get through the first like four fifths of in order to get to that ending it shows you how valuable that build-up is all of the plausibility all of the realism of that drama uh makes the actual tale that we're being told because everything felt so realistic small town drama that when the alien stuff happens you don't question as much and so i think it's 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 designed to have the first part of the movie fall apart because that's what it's designed to do if that makes sense so communion isn't based on like a plausible deniability it's just 100 percent from beginning to end because this is really happening yeah yeah Yeah, this is it's it's not like fire in the sky okay no that's what Um, i'm asking yeah um no it's uh yeah like there's a a in an early part of the movie where uh, Christopher Walken and his family go out to this cabin mm. and he uh, sort of is sort of idly staring out the window. He's just sort of relaxing in his chair. And then he has that sort of sleep paralysis thing mm. where he can't move and he's yeah. just sort of like staring at an open door mm. and he knows there's something there. Yeah. He knows there's something in the house and there's like this weird, intense filmmaking and the sound is getting really, really strange. And then you see the alien look at him. And just the shot of the the, the first appearance of the alien. Mm-hmm. Um, his account of what happened uh, is uh, very uh, kind of set the standard for how other people would respond to uh, their their alien encounters. Mm. Um, in fact, Whitley Stryber put out Communion in the late '80s, and if you know the cover of the book Communion, look mm. it up. It's really kind of eerie mm. looking. It's just a portrait of an alien gray, yeah, which is a fam- familiar sight now. 
but at the time it's this sort of like elongated bald head uh, yeah. with like these gigantic black eyes and a little tiny slits for a nose mm-hmm. and evidently a lot of people saw that mm-hmm. and they and like reacted very dramatically to it saying I've seen that thing before mm-hmm. and it sort of sparked off this urban lore about alien abduction and right. this and when the movie came out it was essentially a, a way to dramatize that what we learn in communion is a lot different from a lot more of the more standard pieces of alien lore that would leak into stuff like the X-Files in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's uh, the alien greys, but it turns out there's like secondary uh, kind of like new troll like aliens, like these little tiny guys. Mm. But there's also the, you know, sort of the, the scientific experimentation. There's, you know, a bigger lankier gray alien. There's, it's just this very, very strange thing. And, a lot of it is uh, Whitley Stryber trying to sort of stick to his guns, trying mm-hmm. to defend himself. Yeah, I, this is what happened to me, mm-hmm. and I'm going to write a book about it. And just, I, I know this is very, very strange to claim that this is all true, but this is what happened. So that's where sort of the human drama comes in. But the alien sequences are truly nightmarish. Yeah. Uh, they'll just really, they kind of dig into your brain. Um it's been posited that uh, alien abductions, mm. uh, the sort of these sort of out of body experiences where you can sort of like picture yourself being fluted through a window or being taken on board a craft or being in many cases sexually assaulted, um, and the way the aliens look, a lot of people have uh, posited that it's just a symptom of sleep paralysis. Yeah, there's that uh, um, documentary. The I think it's called the Nightmare. It's called the Nightmare. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a good documentary, and it's about um, people who experience these incredibly vivid, uh, you know, sort of waking nightmares while they're experiencing. And if you've never experienced sleep paralysis, good. Hmm. Uh, but a lot of people have, and there's a lot of theories about. And the movie doesn't actually get into some of like the more like practical theories. It's more about exploring how real the nightmare feels. Mm. But yeah, there's like, you know, you you might be remembering what it was like to be an infant and Mm. seeing people like hovering over you, these long, tall beings who you can't really process what you're seeing yet. And to you, they feel just as alien as Mm. an actual alien would. Uh, That's a theory that's been floated, you know, as plausible as anything, I suppose. Here's what I think. It's all 100% real. Good. Uh, alien abduction is the, they've been coming to our planet for a while. Mm-hmm. They've been taking human citizens, doing uh, all all kinds of experiments on them, and I think that's real because it's more fun that way. <laughs> well, uh, not for everyone. <laughs> well, I, I suppose not for the abductees. Here's 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 what I will say, and this is the thing that um, the X Files is like one of the most like important like TV shows of like the 1990s. It was incredibly mm-hmm. influential. It spoke very vividly of our attitudes in that era. Um, what, what our fears were about yeah. the U.S. government, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. But it also very spoke to spoke to this sort of, um, almost this uh, sort of conspiracy theory idea we have about the world at large, that there are secretly monsters. And very mm. specifically, this, this idea we have that there are not only aliens out there, and they're not only, like, you know, making weird contact and abducting people and performing experiments on us, but that the government knows about it, and they're keeping it from and they have, us. And they have the wherewithal to cover it up. Yeah, they're going to cover it all up, man. Yeah, and that's like because, and they have to, right? Because can you imagine if people knew that the, the government knew that there were aliens? There would be rioting in the streets. This is what Men in Black was all about. It was like, oh yeah, we can't tell people aliens exist because 
Yeah. Yeah, but cut to cut to this the, last the, year. The last or so. couple of years have sort of blown yeah. that theory out of the water. Because the government just basically said, "Yeah, there's there's UFOs. <laughs> mm. That's a real thing." <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> they just flat out said, "Yeah, we we don't we don't know. Like, there's 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 basically there's, aliens. That's that's the theory we're working with." And everyone's like, "Oh, okay, yeah." So mm. like, you can't do the X Files today. We're we're too well, jaded think, or we're I too. You know, over, overwhelmed in general for that to make that much of a splash. I, I, I'm guessing with all like decades of people like Whitley Stryber and yeah. uh, and Chris Carter who created the X Files, putting out all of this alien lore into mm. the public consciousness. By the time the aliens arrived, mm. we were okay with it. Like yeah. we just, we sort, just of sort of ex- was, accepted yeah. that as true. Like, um, sure, yeah, yeah. Like, did Fair you ever enough. read uh, *Childhood's End*, the the Arthur C. Clarke novel? No, I never read that one. Um, there's a it's it's about a species of aliens that's going to come down and sort of aid humanity and you know these craft appear in the sky and they say we're going to help you out we're going to give you cures to diseases but we can't show our faces and we're going to work with you for a couple years and make sure you're kind of like peaceful and enlightened before we show up okay and everyone's like okay that's a little weird but we'll roll with it and i think after a couple years the aliens do finally come out and they're essentially devils. Like they have, like yeah. they're they're red and they have horns and bat wings and like pointy tails. They look yeah. like typical visions of Satan. Yeah, our, based and, uh, on our cultural depictions mm-hmm. of things, we would respond mm-hmm. very unfavorably to them at first mm-hmm. glance. Yeah, uh, designs of Satan were based off of Pan, but we'll get to that. Uh, that's yeah, a, that's a whole sort different of cultural thing. origin. Although, except, uh, 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 except in Doctor Who, mm-hmm. where even depictions of Pan were based on space Satan. That's right. There, space Satan was being held prisoner in a meteor or something. Yeah, and he was like, and he was like broadcasting a, his brain into yeah. somebody else's body. And well, uh, it, was, it was sending out like psychic waves, basically, like, you know, about itself. And that was where all impressions of Satan hmm. came from. This one alien that looked like Satan <laughs> that was like hovering around a black you know what? hole. Sure, Doctor uh, Who. Rules. It's do- Doctor Who can do that. <laughs> Doctor Who. That, that's the kind of story I can yeah. do. Anyway, um, um, but I, I really love communion. Sure. I feel like. Uh, Communion represents sort of this really kind of lost era in popular culture when mm. that alien lore was just because it was still kind of fringe at the time. Yeah. And, it, and you could find out about this stuff from like zines or like underground interviews. Mm. Uh, and uh, I got a book that was uh, published by the Whole Earth Catalog called The Fringes of Reason. That was put out, I think, in 1991. It was pretty early on in the 90s, prior to the X Files. When I learned, that's where I learned about a lot of alien lore. Mm. Um, and I think communion is like, yeah, sort of like the first step into mainstreaming a lot of that stuff, which is now, now you can get like a little alien face on your Nintendo Switch. You know, oh, it's, yeah. it's just a, just a little, that's well, what it's literally, there's like, literally yeah. like a computer company called Alienware. Yeah. And, and just, it's that, yeah, the alien yeah, gray as its yeah, symbol. Yeah. We've totally, mm-hmm. yeah. We used to have a bookstore where I grew up uh, called, actually, I don't remember if it was, if it was called Alexandria 2 or Alexandria the Second. But they had like a whole bunch of like you get like a whole bunch of incense there and like new wave music. But they also like a huge part of their business was the section of the store with all of like the the conspiracy theory alien shit. Yeah. yeah. And so that was like very close to where my dad worked. So I spent a lot of time in there and it was just that was a. That was life, man. I, I, I loved all that stuff, man. Yeah. I, I loved going into some of the occult sections of the bookstores. Still have a lot of those old books. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, I'm going to... Okay, so we are at a point mm. where... I, I know I've had like a lot of kind of off-the-wall picks, um, but uh, we're getting to the point where at least some... Honestly, two or three of my next 
of my last four uh-huh. might be your number one because like they're kind of big deal movies. Maybe I there there are a couple that like some of my favorite movies I left off this list just because mm-hmm. I've talked about them a lot before. Sure. I again I, I I did this weird thing where like I put so many picks in here like I don't think anyone expected Doctor Jekyll and Sister Hyde to be on this list. So like I I wanted to balance that out with a few of the big ones and um. I mean, we already talked about Alien. We did, we did, and I got a few more. Um, and uh, the one I, th- the one I think I want to talk about next because, like, and, and again, if this is on your list and you want to punt it ahead, we can do that. Uh, it's also incredibly influential, like the universe it created and popularized mm. uh, the way that it envisioned the future, the way that it envisioned space travel, the way that it envisioned, you know, production design and costume design and the way robots worked and shit was so incredibly influential that we're still operating off of its sort of schematics today. And it's also a great monster movie and that's forbidden planet. Oh, I didn't, you know what? That's not even on my short list. For wow! Planet. Yeah. How did you, just out of by design, or you just forgot? No, uh, you know, I I like Forbidden Planet. Fine. Okay. Uh, I see it more as like a. It's not a horror movie. I it's, think it is. It's, all I right. think it is. There's, there's like it's got a, it does have a good monster yeah, in it. But, like yeah. I, I think there's it, it's, you know, genre as I've as I, I've said before, isn't like an all or nothing. It's not a binary. You're not just like horror or you're not horror. You're yeah. not sci-fi or you're not well sci-fi maybe a little might a little bit more, but like genre isn't all encompassing and you can be somewhat horror. You can be somewhat drama. You can be somewhat comedy and you can be any sort of combination of the like forbidden planet. You know, we look at it now and it feels so much like a Star Trek episode because this Mm. is kind of the foundation of what Gene Roddenberry would turn into Star Trek. Yeah. The idea of a group of sort of, uh, intrepid, very uh, professional explorers traveling the galaxy. They have bureaucracy. They have jobs to do. They're checking in on various space colonies. And in the course of their duties, uh, they land on a planet with only uh, three inhabitants. Uh, A scientist, maybe bad scientist, maybe just eccentric scientist. Mm. We'll find out shortly. Who looks Uh, a lot like Maximilian Shell from the Black Black Hole. Um, His his, um, very amorous daughter. His comely daughter. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And their their mysterious robot, who's unlike anything that our our heroes have ever seen before. Uh, And they land on the planet. They're supposed to investigate what's going on with this guy. Uh, This guy has been investigating sort of uh, the aliens that used to live on this planet before anyone else got here. And every night, uh, members of his crew are picked off by an unseen alien force. Uh, invisible alien invisible force. Alien force. Yeah. Yeah. We know it's fi- we know it's physical. Like it takes yeah. up space. Yeah, it because it leaves footprints. footprints, and we yeah. see it leave footprints. The visual effects in this movie were really ahead of their time. Like just absolutely, like every element. The, the matte paintings are gorgeous. The physical uh, uh, effects are gorgeous. The animation that they add to it mm-hmm. is gorgeous. Like it's really cool. Look, I showed it to someone recently, just a clip, and they're like, "Wow!" And I'm like, "Yeah, right." Movies visual effects used to look cool. <laughs> they didn't just look like oh how real. It's like no, they used to be like they want to dazzle you, and mm-hmm. that's something Forbidden Planet really, really does. We look at it now because of its influences as more of a Star Trek episode, but one thing you and I talk about a lot on our Star Trek podcast on our Patreon mm. is that Star Trek, at least especially early Star Trek, 
was a monster of the week show a lot of the time. Yeah, there's That's a part lot of it. really horrifying stuff. Yeah, they, they, it's about traveling it's, to a strange place, encountering something that has a new, deadly, ex, new exciting way to kill you. Yeah, deadly, dangerous, uh, disturbing, challenges our perceptions in a way that we weren't ready for. Uh, and that was part of that DNA. And, you know, Star Trek largely moved away from that. Every once in a while, they'll bring it back. Like, I feel like Strange New World treats the Gorn that way. But, yeah, the, the early basis of it was monsters. Mm. The the overwhelming sort of uh, design aesthetic of Forbidden Planet is to feel forbidden. Mm. It's to feel strange. Strange. It's the off-put you. This is, um, I think it was the first, or at least it was one of the first films that have an electronic score. Yeah. And the score barely even sounds like a score. Like, it's it's absolutely it's like riveting. noises. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. feels like the future. <laughs> you know? Like, it feels like, you know, you know that scene in Star Wars Avenger of the Sith where uh, Palpatine is, like, attending some kind of strange so, bubble it's, opera? It's the, yeah, underwater Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, yeah. That's... Some weird sci-fi shit, mm. and that's the kind of like artistry that's going uh, on, like in the in the compositions of Forbidden Planet. I I read recently that that was a, a last minute change to the Star Wars movie. Oh, was it? Like the, the that, whole scene, or just that the the, 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 the speech? Because it, it's um, uh, Ian McDiarmid, who is like. Like, he digests all of the scenery in that movie. Oh, yeah. Like, he's the only one who's having any he's, fun. He's doing and Shakespeare, then, and everyone else is doing Flash Gordon. They're, they're yeah. doing community theater is what they're doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, I, I want to tell you the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise. Oh, I know. And yeah, it's, he's it's, so great in that scene. It's, it's the best scene in the whole it, movie. It, it's idiotic dialogue, oh, but sure. he's selling it. Yeah. And, uh, and the idea... It was going to be like every other scene in the movie where people are just in a fucking office yeah. and just sort of exchanging dialogue across a desk. That's how we, George Lucas shot it. Yeah. It's like, no, this is too boring. Oh, that one scene is too boring. What about the, <laughs> about the 85 other office scenes you film for these movies? The Star Wars prequels aren't good. Um, no. So yeah, it's like, you know what? Let's do it in an opera. So they like built an opera set in a day, mm. and the chair is just like something they ripped out of a car and they just yeah. draped, draped something over it. This is a Star Wars movie, and they're improvising. That's what they should be doing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so anyway, my point is that that kind of like otherness, that kind of strangeness, is initially it's sort of fascinating, but then you realize that even though there are these vast vistas, you're trapped there. And when you start visiting the actual underground alien catacombs, they're so huge and overwhelming and strange, and. When you do finally get, because there's like this energy field they put around their ship, mm. and when the monster, the invisible monster starts walking through it, when you do get to see, like, because it's crackling with energy, the outline of the thing, it's huge. Mm. It's like there's no monster in movie history quite like it until that point. Yeah, we've had King Kong, but like this size, this level of movement, this level of expressiveness, absolutely terrifying. Um, again, I think it's a movie we take for granted. And I think because it is a sort of a combination of genres, uh, it is easy to do that. But uh, there's a reason why in uh, John Carpenter's Halloween, the kids are watching Forbidden Planet. That's a that's a no, that's a monster movie. No, in Halloween they're watching uh, they're watching the thing from another world and Forbidden Planet. Are they watching Forbidden Planet? I'm ninety percent sure they are, but I'm going to check now. Now I'm going to know if I put my foot in my mouth. No, because that, that's I know the, they're the, big, the, thing. the big connection because oh, John Carpenter would go on to remake. The I'm thing. not saying they didn't watch the thing. I'm saying I, I was I was pretty sure they also watched Forbidden Planet. Hold on, I'm going to 
look that up while you take us mm. into a new direction and I will interrupt <laughs> you. Uh, um, well, I, I, I love Forbidden Planet. I wouldn't consider it a horror movie. I think there's some existential things in it. It's a little bit more conceptual. Yeah. Uh, there's a really cool monster in it, but it's not a monster movie. Like the monster isn't the center of it. Uh, I, I like I like the uniforms. I like Leslie Nielsen. I like um, Anne Francis. Uh, and, and Francis actually plays a real part. She's not just there to sort of look lovely in, in no. diaphanous robes. Yeah, they watched The Thing from Another World and Forbidden Planet. Okay. Yeah, so, boom. It's, still, okay. sci-fi, it's a sci-fi monster movie, Double Future. And it's uh, and it's Lindsay, little girl, mm-hmm. uh, and Paul Rudd. <laughs> yes, it was baby Paul Rudd. Was, well, the the character, uh, Tommy, because yeah. they're all named Tommy, uh, grew up into Paul Rudd in Halloween Six, yes. and Lindsay is now like one of the real housewives. Yeah, we're, and, it's and weird. she showed up like in the, the real, Hall- the original actor too. Yeah, yeah, and the original, and she came back for like the David Gordon Green movies. Yeah. Paul Rudd wasn't the child actor in Halloween; no. they recast him. But, um, yeah. but if you know. Um, the woman yells at cat meme. Yeah. Of like, the, there's an angry blonde woman pointing at, at off camera and there's a reaction shot of a cat sitting in front of a salad. I've never understood and that, but yes. there's, the, pardon? Well, I don't understand. Is the cat from the episode or is that a separate I, thing? I have no idea. I don't either. But it's a great Kuleshov effect Oh, it's a wonderful, thing, yeah. it's a wonderful juxtaposition. Uh, but, uh, the, the, um, if you look at the blonde woman, there's another woman behind her, like trying to calm her down. Mm-hmm. That's Lindsay from Halloween. Nice. That little girl is that woman from the meme. <laughs> nice. Anyway. All right, moving weird, on. Weird what, connection. What's your next? What's your next? Pick? I, I got a few other newer ones that I wanted yeah. to talk about because uh, I, I could talk about Videodrome, but I talk about Videodrome all the time. Yeah. Uh, see Videodrome. It's wonderful. Uh, I could talk about the Tingler. That's one of my favorites. Oh, the Tingler's fantastic. Uh, I, I love the Tingler. I almost put um, the Tingler on my list too. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about The Tingler, because you've heard me talk about The Tingler. I've done sure. whole podcasts about The Tingler. Watch The Tingler. Mm. Uh, it's Halloween time. Maybe one of your local repertory houses is actually doing Percepto. Like, they're wire, uh, they wiring up the anymore, vibrating they seats. Are, they, they're doing it, God. Um, but a film I do want to talk about is Annihilation. Oh, uh, okay. The Alex Garland film. Um, Annihilation uh, is about the, an area of uh, sort of a... Just sort of a coast, like a little, little, yeah, little, little plot of land, a little plot, plot of like a nature preserve, uh, has been sort of affected by this mysterious alien bubble, mm-hmm. just surrounded by this this energy field. Of it's a little kind. like the color out of space. A little like the color out of space, and yeah, yeah and there's this, like a big physical wall you can walk up to it yeah. and see where it ends. Like, they call uh, it like the shimmer or something. I think yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah. Something like that. I only saw it once. Yeah, and. Uh, Natalie Portman plays a scientist who's called in to uh, sort of go into this area. Yeah. I and think her husband had before. Her, yeah, yeah, like they like sent the... a team in before. They, they sent in a team of men and they're all lost. So yeah. it's like, okay, we need some women now. Um, yeah. I, I remember this came out like the same year as Ghostbusters. And, oh, and, yeah. And, and, the, and the Paul Feig's the Paul Feig Ghostbuster. But I hate that movie. But um, uh, uh, I like it more than most. I remember a lot of the criticism where it's really wonderful to have like a science fiction movie with like four women doing science. It's like, well, first of all, they're not doing science. It's like Ghostbuster bullshit science. Annihilation like does it better. (laughs) A very different tone, but yeah, Yeah. sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah. um, So these women go into the shimmer. Jennifer Jason Lee is like the general who's like sends them in and they send them into this area. Yeah. Uh, yeah, It's called the shimmer where they uh, sort of, go inside and figure out what's going on. And it turns out that inside the shimmer, 
whatever alien life is in there is trying to rearrange earth biology mm-hmm. to what end we don't really know, but it's like blending, yeah. uh, yeah. two types of dna so at first it's like really benign it's like oh look this vine doesn't grow that flower for mm-hmm. instance yeah it's like those yeah. types of plants have been merged into one organism yeah. Yeah. and eventually they start seeing that with like animals like oh, yeah. the, the here's and there's there's a bear creature in this yeah uh that, that will, like screams like a person and... <laughs> leaving your nightmares forever there's, there's two sequences in this movie the bear uh-huh. And the conclusion, which I don't want to ruin, where it's just mm. Natalie Portman like alone, and I think it's like a lighthouse or something. And yeah, then, like, she encounters make, something strange. She make, makes her way yeah. to the very center of like the flashpoint yeah. of whatever this thing is. And that whole like, sequence yeah. is fucking terrifying. Mm. The bear sequence is fucking terrifying. Yeah. I'll give this movie and, that. And there's a lot of really cool, dreamy, just sort of organic images that were, were very reminiscent of a movie I love called Fantastic Planet. Not Forbidden Planet, but Fantastic Planet. Right. The René Lelou film from 1973. Uh, it's an animated film. And that movie's really wonderful just because it just goes hog wild with imagination. It creates yeah. an alien world that feels really alien. There's a scene in, in Annihilation where the characters wander out onto a beach and the trees have taken on human DNA. Yeah. So they're growing as like... 12 foot tall human shapes and that's a really cool looking image mm. uh, just sort of like scattered throughout the the landscape uh the bear sequence is really terrifying somebody gets injured and we get to see like inside their body and what's happening to the insides of their bodies because it's affecting them as well yeah and we learn that the shimmer is reacting to them and the reason it's being so hostile is because it's tapping into something Freud talked about that's Mm. in the human psyche. And it's our propensity toward self-annihilation. We have this fascination with our own destruction Mm. uh, in the abstract and in a very practical way. And I feel like uh, Alex Garland, uh, who wrote and directed, really understands like that that's really kind of a vital part of ourselves, that this is an inescapable part of our psyche. And he's making a science fiction film that's reaching really deep into the brain and yanking that out. And I think that makes the movie that much more terrifying. Mm-hmm. That if we were to encounter something truly strange and alien, and it responds to sort of our thoughts the way we think, mm-hmm. that's dangerous. Because we think shit. Yeah. Our, no, our, our brains true, yeah. are not disciplined. It's not going to pull in and find the parts we like. It's yeah. going to fall in, find everything. You know that ending of Contact where it's mm-hmm. like, yes, I went into your mind and I found this wonderful memory of your dad. And I'm like... Yeah, where are her resentments? Where's, where's like, cause there are people she hates in this movie. There's insecurities that she has, there's self-doubt. That's in there too, man. Like, you're, you're, this, I like that movie mostly, but like, it's, it's, it's optimism is a little much even for me. I reached into your mind and found an image. Is that why you're two Dr. Zayuses? Like, I don't understand any of this. <laughs> from, from Planet of that. the Apes. Yeah, but like, oh god, can you well, that, imagine that's two Doctor Z's? Right? That's the dream. Have you seen Hanging with Doctor Z? The no, I Dana, seen that. Dana I Gould's talk show where he plays Doctor Zayas oh, is like this old that. Hollywood like talk show type. That's awesome. He has actual celebrities on and interviews them as Doctor Zayas. That's hilarious. No, I haven't uh, seen that. Um, anyway, I, I like Annihilation yeah. a lot. I think about it a lot. It's one of those movies that you know was just sort of eerie and unsettling when I saw it, but mm-hmm. I, it's kind of astonishing how often I go back to this idea of like an alien reading our thoughts and finding like the least desirable parts of ourselves and trying to recreate it. You know, I, I, I like Annihilation a lot. I don't, mm. I, I think I know this movie a rewatch because I remember when it came out, 
a lot of people, and I don't even think, I think your enthusiasm for it has, has increased over time. Because mm. I, I think when it came out, you know, Alex Garland was hot shit. Like, he just well, he done did, Ex Machina. Ex Machina was, which was... And I like Ex Machina, Which is brilliant. Too, yeah. It's a brilliant movie. Um, and, you know, Alex Gar- he worked on a ton of great movies before that. Uh, he wrote, he uh, wrote and allegedly had a lot of behind-the-scenes to do with uh, Dread. Dread, yeah. Which is a great fucking head. movie as well. Um, for and With then. Annihilation, there's definitely elements of it, like I said, that I truly admire. And I think that there's some genuinely awesome aesthetic choices throughout the movie. It is also a movie where it's a science fiction genre film, sure. Mm. And as with most genre movies, you know, if you wanted to, you could pick apart and find its influences. But I found Annihilation to be mostly very familiar. Like, mm. I felt like, again, color out of space. You know, there's a, there's there's a lot of different elements to the movie that just felt like, I've seen this before and this feels like a remix. However... Well, which is not necessarily a bad thing. No, no, it's thing, not necessarily yeah. a bad thing. I found it distracting when I was watching it, and I ultimately, as much as I admired some of the things the film did, my overall thought was, if you've never seen the movies that influenced this movie, this is going to be your new favorite sci-fi movie. Mm. But I have, and I found it sort of distractingly derivative. However, uh, just because the film is a pastiche doesn't mean it's not necessarily doing anything new. Now that I know that it's a pastiche and it seems to be withstanding the test of time for so many people, I think I need to sit down with this one again and see if maybe the fact that I can recognize the pieces hmm. doesn't have to be the distraction that it is and I can maybe look at it as something, creating something new out of it. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'll get on the train. This isn't like Event Horizon where I've never particularly cared for it. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, I respect it, it's fine, I just thought I'd seen it before, but... Again, it's very well made, and there is a couple of really dynamite pieces in it that are absolutely fucking cool. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, kudos to that. Um, all right, all right, I've only got a few left, and oh, what do I want to talk about? I've, I've got a mm, oh, <laughs> everything's difficult. Well, you, well, you like have your it. number one, so it's only. I do like, have my number one. I have two. I have two, two left, others, but I'm right? like also like, I'll I'll be perfectly frank. Uh, while we were doing this podcast, while we were recording it, I realized that two of the films on my list uh-huh. needed to share a slot. Okay, because they're like they belong together, uh, and they, you, they work separately. But like, I think if you're going to have them both on the list, they should share the same spot because they're so similar. So why not just start with those? I, I was right. going to say those second and last, but whatever. Um, one of the all-time classics of the sci-fi uh, genre is The Island of Dr. Moreau. Okay. Uh, the Island of Dr. Moreau is about a guy who uh, washes up, he's shipwrecked on a mysterious island. The island is owned by uh, a reclusive uh, scientist, like, once again, of the mad variety. I love how many mad scientist movies we have on our on our uh, story <laughs> because it's just one of the best things. Um, and what this mad scientist has been doing was, and this was before we had the idea we have of genetic manipulation mm. now, was they've been using vivisection, painful surgeries, mm. to transform animals into human being type creatures, anthropomorphic, yeah, they, well, they... forced anthropomorphism. Mm. Uh, and he's been trying to train them to be more human. 
Uh, this is essentially torture. It is yep. a form. It is like very, very, very clear, like a metaphor for various forms of classism mm. and uh, other forms of, you know, just sort of the, the rich, the powerful keeping people down and trying mm. to like, uh, and, and also it's about uh, sort of man trying to, uh, manipulate nature to suit his own selfish whims. Yeah. And it's such a simple, potent concept that it's been turned into a movie many, many times. And sometimes it's called The Island of Dr. Moreau. Mm. Sometimes it's called different things. Yeah, it's based and, on H.G. E. Wells' story yeah. called The Island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, the two best versions of this, uh-huh. I realized too late, were both on my list. So I'm putting them both okay. <laughs> on the same line, even though they don't even share the same title. Uh, the first, the seediest version of this, the grossest version of this, the most, like, just honestly thematically harsh version of this is Island of Lost Souls, hmm. uh, which is... A movie that honestly, it's like uh, Earl C. Kenton is the director. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, and Charles Lawton plays uh, Doctor Moreau. Oh, and Charles Lawton is one of the best actors who ever lived. So if you've never seen Charles Lawton in movies, seek him out. He's a genius. Um, that's a pretty straightforward adaptation of the book, actually. But there's something so violent mm. about its conception. About its the things take place off camera, but mm. we hear the screams, and it's yeah. so. Absolutely brutal. Bella Lugosi plays the speaker of the law. Mm. And it's just something like just deeply. uh, It understands how perverse Dr. Moreau is. And it really sells that. It's one of the few... Into- By the way, um, Island of Lost Souls is my number one. Uh, oh, shit! So, <laughs> so you kind of, you kind of uh, undercut uh, me there. Okay, well, you shouldn't have so, told me to just go for it. It's <laughs> on I, you. I didn't know. It's, it's fine. Um, yeah, um, Island of Lost Souls uh, really hammers home better than any movie, really. Yeah. Uh, how... How sick the experiment, experiment, uh, experimenting is. Yeah, like how painful and gross and horrible it is, and also how how wrong the animal people look, the way they're filmed and the makeup, uh, and just sort of the way they're presented. Yeah, they're not they're, cool. They're not sexy. Yeah, they're, you know, they're, they don't they don't yeah. look like really slick. Like th- there's the the island of Doctor Moreau from the nineties. Yeah, um, the, like Bulk is the sexy cat. Yeah, one, and and you know? and that had like. I think it was Stan Winston did the creature effects and the creature effects are, are really fantastic. Yeah. They look really sort of slick. Those animal people look like animal people, but they don't look wrong. They don't yeah. look like something has gone terribly awry in nature. No, it looks, uh, it, it, it look, when you make them look cool, mm-hmm. you change the premise. Yeah. Cause the whole thing is like, this guy is doing something unnatural. It should feel unnatural. It shouldn't mm. feel natural. Yeah. It should feel gross. Uh, and this is another one of those movies that's like leaked into a lot of popular culture stuff. Um, the Sayer of the Law uh, likes to sort of give out the law, you know, to walk on two legs, not on four. To eat meat is wrong. If we break these rules, we go to the House of Pain. House of Pain. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, are we not men? And you want to shout back, we, we are Devo! Devo! Yeah. yeah. That, that became the, the rallying cry for the band, Devo. Yeah. And uh, if you look up the Oingo Boingo song called No Spill Blood, mm. it's just dialogue from the Sayer of the Law. That's yeah. the, the, the lyrics. Yeah. Anyway, this is uh, just an absolutely, again, it understands all of the themes. It Even though there are other versions, very specifically adaptations of the Island of Dr. Moreau, mm. like the 90s version, was there was... Um, 
There's a seventh so Bert, version. Was like as Burt well. Lancaster was in was the was the Doctor Moreau in that one? That was Brando. No, no, no. That's the nineties one. I'm talking about the seventies. Oh, the seventies one. one. Um, I haven't seen the seventies. There's one, one from the seventies yeah. or the eighties, and I think and it was it's Burt called Lan- The Island of Doctor Moreau. Yeah, and I think too. it's Burt Lancaster. I've actually it's been a long time since I've seen that one all the way through. Uh, as you yeah, can tell, like, because I can barely remember who yeah. was in it. Uh, Michael York was in it, but he wasn't. Dr. No, he, Michael York was like. Yeah, you're right. It was Burt Lancaster. Yeah, it was Burt Lancaster. Was Dr. Moreau. I remember that being respectable, but. God, that that one that that Island in Lost Souls is just so fucking nightmarish, yeah. and it's a like, lot of it is just on the on the uh, this the the very shadowy, uh, sweaty cinematography, but a lot of it is Charles Lawton. <laughs> Charles Lawton understood <laughs> madness better than anybody. Like he, oh, this is the guy who directed Night of the Hunter for Christ's sake. Like he knew, uh, absolutely genius, thrilling, and the the mirror image of that. The other best version of The Island of Dr. Moreau is a movie that I sometimes run into some some objections when I refer to it as a sci-fi horror movie. Mm. Uh, and I think it's also just one of those ones that we take for granted that because it is considered a crowd pleaser, that it is not also a fucking monster movie. And that is Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park, which is absolutely uh, a yeah, modern version yeah, of Dr. Moreau, except Dr. Moreau is a kindly old man who runs a corporation. And no, he's absolutely wrong about everything and in fact if if you take into account like the all of the movies that came after it's like what is the body count like oh this guy's how, how, how much damage did this man really do to the world hammond is like you he you want to like him because richard attenborough was like sorry mm. lord richard attenborough uh was raised <laughs> was was like you know he plays him like in the book he was played a little bit more you know more of an asshole uh it's kind of like a grandfatherly figure well they play him as like well yeah. disney and mm. you know, there's 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 some dark sides to Walt Disney as well. But the idea is that oh, there's just this kindly old man who has this dream of showing you know children dinosaurs, which on some level that's what the movie is about, isn't it? And we want to bring the most realistic looking dinosaurs to life there's ever been in a movie, and on a visual effects level, it does that. Also, they eat people, <laughs> a lot of them. The body count in the first movie is actually relatively low, but like there's still. Fucking creepy. Those like weird Dilophosauruses that like you didn't know could spit spit venom at you. Poisonous tar. Oh god, that's just absolutely grotesque. And like even just that opening scene where Alan Grant is like, "Oh yeah, oh you don't think Velociraptors are very very scary? You could slice open your fucking stomach." (laughs) Like oh Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Um, But yeah, it's absolutely a modern version of the Island of Doctor Moreau. It's just because Spielberg has these this sort of bombastic sensibility. These sequences, which are just horrifying, the T Rex attack. (laughs) That's an absolutely you you could hear if it wasn't for the booming sound effects, you couldn't hear a pin drop in that theater. Everyone's just like their claws are digging into their 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 seats. It's so riveting and it's so tense. The uh, all of the Velociraptor attacks are absolutely fucking intense. That it has a relatively triumphant ending, where people learn a valuable lesson, doesn't change the fact that until then, it's one of the greatest monster movies that anyone has ever created. It is a spectacularly realized mm. modern version of Jurassic Park in which Dr. Moreau was concerned about appearances and wanted things to look cool. <laughs> so they, and so the audience is a bit convinced, I but would actually love he's to, a monster. I would love to see like the big angle of Jurassic Park though, is that he's not doing it to sort of self aggrandize or he has mm. some sort of like 
these weird like eugenics ideas like Dr. Moreau has. Mm. He's doing it for wonderment and fun. I would love to see a mix of that mm. where uh, like it's a Dr. Moreau type, this really kind of sleazy dude is like, yes, I'm going to make animal people and fuck them. Ha ha. You know, whatever. <laughs> um, but, but also it's like, and I'm going to put them in pens and people will come by and pay admission to look at them. Yes. I love yeah. the Dr. Moreau, like fun experience. Because all of that's really in the movie. It's like, Oh yes. You know, I want, I want all, I want to be there for the birth of all of the animals at Jurassic Park. And I'm like, yeah, you're not actually doing the heavy fucking lifting. Are you? You just want to be there and be like treated as everyone's daddy when it's done. And then you're going to put them in a fucking cage to be gawked at. Mm. Also the cages suck. If you're actually looking at this as an amusement park, the original Jurassic Park fucking sucks. You're telling me you're going to have a tram ride where you're going to go past various different like pens where animals are being held and you're going to have a ton of foliage in the foreground? What well, the fuck so, are you thinking putting a T-Rex like behind uh, a whole wall of trees? Well, That's not good landscaping. Well, also, That's not conducive to a good ride. He just sucks at everything. For, Getting for, Dennis Nedry to do all the goddamn work? Come for, on. Forget landscaping. Like, why are they not in holes like at the zoo? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, no, it's like he's, he's... like bears and gorillas. They keep them in like these yeah. con- like concrete. They find out like how high they can jump yeah. and then make the pit deeper than that. You know, yeah. do that with a dinosaur. Yeah. Have, no. have people go like around the edge of a canyon so there's, the dinosaurs can't reach. There's them. all these subtle details in the movie that are really cool that just show like despite all of his bluster. Oh, we sped no expense. Uh, everything Hammond says is bullshit about like how well everything is thought out, uh, including uh, the scene where they're in the helicopter going to Jurassic Park and uh, Alan Grant has a malfunctioning uh, uh, seatbelt uh-huh. where it has two of the same ends. Yeah, the two, uh, yeah. The two uh, female ends, as it were, yeah. and he makes yeah. it work. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. good metaphor there. There's also a good bit where uh, Hammond goes to see Alan Grant and um, Ellie Sattler, uh, and like he breaks out the champagne and just pours it into the nearest glasses and ignores the fact that there's actually champagne flutes. Like, uh. he's so not paying attention to detail mm. that he just fucks everything up. It's pretty smart. Anyway, it's a great double feature. They're they're the two best versions of that story. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry I'll, I took I'll, your number one. I'll say that Island of Lost Souls is the scarier movie. Oh, sure, sure. Um, I, I like Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Um, I have long been a little bit baffled by just sort of, not just that it's popular, but it's over weirdly overwhelming popularity. Mm-hmm. It's one of those. It's one of those, like wonderful special effects. Yeah. I get it. You know, it's Steven Spielberg. He has that sort of sense of adventure to it. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's no twist. Yeah. Like, okay, he made dinosaurs. What do they do? They do dinosaur shit and yeah. they run around and eat people. It's like, well, sh- shouldn't there be like some sort of twist? Yes, and we used human DNA. Yeah. And uh, like, the, do that in the first movie. The uh, the the thing with Jurassic Park, and it's actually a lot like the Terminator. I think, mm. uh, is that it made so much money. Hmm. Uh, that the obvious inclination is to turn it into a franchise, and look, they printed money with the franchise. I can't pretend that it wasn't like financially successful. Oh, that, that for them. Jurassic World made oh. half a billion dollars in a weekend. Oh yeah, it, it was it was madness. Um, the premise of Jurassic Park is so hyper specific; it does not lend itself to a franchise. Hmm. Oh, we've created an amusement park for dinosaurs, and every they fucked up, and everyone died. How many times can we fucking do that? You know, then we have to come up with excuses. Oh, there was another island we never mentioned before. You never mentioned it? Mm. Okay, it's a bit of a fucking stretch. Like, <laughs> oh, and then we were vacationing on this island and our kid went missing. What the fuck 
were you doing that? That's so ridiculous. It's a terrible premise for an opening of a movie. And then Jurassic World, which, you know, has a lot of problems, but it, it does do the thing that a sequel to Jurassic Park needed to do, uh, which is show the park when it's open. Actually have it actually have it full of people. So that it's not it's not like five people being chased uh, about by Velociraptors. There's mass panic. I've I've heard that before, that yeah. the comment about how uh, Jurassic World finally did what audiences wanted to see. They wanted to see the park mm. open. And I, I don't I didn't have that desire when I was watching the first Jurassic Park. I didn't I, want to see uh, dinosaurs, you know, wreaking havoc on I'm an not, open park. I'm not saying it was a conscious belief that we no. all had, that that was a mistake the movie made, that we didn't get to see when it was open. Mm. I just mean it's a logical extension. I suppose so. Where if you're going to go back and do Jurassic Park mm. again, have the park yeah. and actually have people there. It's like the difference between, uh, uh, you know, having Jason Voorhees run amok the weekend before the camp opens or the week or the week the camp is open. Mm. There's a lot more possibilities for carnage. Yeah. Uh, and so I think while Jurassic World doesn't have some really god awful writing, um, that one <laughs> that one at least basically works on like a fundamental concept mm. level. And then oh god, those last two sequels. Dominion <laughs> and Fallen Kingdom are just oh my god. I didn't think it could get worse than Fallen Kingdom. I was like Fallen Kingdom is junk and well, then dominion well, did, was no, painful wait, which one fallen kingdom was second oh, well fallen, gosh, jurassic right. world fallen kingdom that's the one where like the second half of it takes place at a mansion yeah and then dominion is the one with the locusts that's right yeah it's, it's mostly that, locusts that, that's what we're here for fallen kingdom they should have just called jurassic manor and had it taken t- take place entirely in the mansion I, I would love to have seen like an old dark house scenario worked. Like, it's like yes come in yes come in oh yes there's my stegosaurus <laughs> yeah look, look I'm, I'm a rich billionaire and I hired people to put some in a private zoo yeah, for yeah, me. yeah, yeah. that works and you get to be all spooky like mm. that would have worked but you'd made it too fucking flew too close to the sun mm. and then you flew closer and then you were on fire and then you made a movie why <laughs> there's more efficient ways anyway we should move on mm. uh what's yeah you got at least two left uh, what do you got? well i have one left because that was my number one okay, and no, um, if i had three hold on let me let me count here we got dr x invisible man under the skin pie alien slash prometheus event horizon communion and the lost souls there's two left and what is, Unless I'm forgetting one that you did. Uh, Community Event Horizon. You can do this. Under the Skin. Doctor. Oh, maybe I didn't get them. Maybe I count. Maybe I'll count a nine. Oh, did you write down Annihilation? Oh, I didn't write yeah. down Annihilation. That's yeah, on we me. T- we talked about me. Annihilation. No, no, that's, so, that's on me. You're right. So, yeah. Sorry, okay, I thought so. Um, yeah, no, no, that's on me. We'll have one left. Uh, I, I, and this I, is another I one. Two, but yeah. This is another one that I wanted to. Um, well, I guess if you have two, you can do one more, and then we can mm. both have one left. Uh, fair enough. See how well oiled a machine this is, dear listeners. How, how well we plan this out. We just sort of like finagle as we get. You get to listen to it live. This is raw, uncut material. This is life as it is, man. Um. All right. Well, my second to last pick uh, is one where I, I can't make this a tie because even though they're all from the same filmmaker, they're totally different movies. All right. Uh, but uh, Jordan Peele. Okay. Has a created... okay, my, my number two is nope. So uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I get, not my number two, but the the, the, yeah. the last one I was going to talk about was nope. Okay, well, I the I was debating between mm. uh, nope, which I think is an actual masterpiece, mm. uh, us, which is you know, kind of downplays its sci-fi origin of its story, but it's very strange and dreamlike, and I love mm. it. Uh, and I, I do not like us. I understand. Yeah. Uh, and uh, get out, which is actually mm. the one that I settled on. 
Uh, oh, okay. So we can talk about two different Jordan Peele because he's made three sci-fi mm. horror movies, really. Although yeah. the extent to which they are sci-fi in some cases is considered a bit of a twist. Uh, Get Out, its sci-fi elements aren't uh, as important as sort of more magical elements mm. uh, and and thematic elements and horror, violence, and thriller elements. The actual science fiction conceit is way in the background of that movie. Okay, you know so, what? Um, you know what? You've convinced me. Hmm. You've convinced me. I'm going to go with Nope as well. Okay, yeah. Although nope. I do think Get Out, because it's kind of like this modern day, uh, you know, sort of thematically switched version of The Stepford Wives hmm. about how people use sci-fi technology to oppress and take over minds. And there's elements of Get Out that I feel don't get talked about enough, but we had to get into real spoiler territory and... Hmm. Um, I feel like even though it's been out for a while, I feel it's a little rude to delve too deeply in the middle of a regular podcast. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. So, um, I, Get Out is a, like my top honorable mention, I'll put it that. But yeah, let's talk about Nope, because Nope kicks ass. Yeah, uh, Nope, uh, and, and here's the thing, um, Get Out is really tight, and uh, Jordan Peele had like something he really wanted to say. Yeah. Um, if I have any complaints about Get Out, it's, uh, I don't like uh, a lot of the actions at the ending of the movie. Mm. I feel like it was kind of a, a cop-out to do sort of like, action movie shit uh, when it, it felt like it was pointing in a much more interesting direction. I think it was a vital catharsis that we are offered at the end of that movie, uh, but fair enough. I hate vital catharsis. <laughs> um, you know, anything you describe as awesome sucks. Uh, to put that on a shirt. <laughs> awesome sucks. That's, that's, no, that's, anything you describe as anything awesome Anything you describe as awesome sucks. sucks. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, then he, <laughs> and then he made Us, and Us mm. is like like 40 great ideas that he just sort of sneezed onto a page and didn't organize in any kind of interesting way. Yeah. Um, you look at get out and like every line of dialogue has like four different accurate interpretations. Like it's mm. so like every single aspect of that production is like thought out with a fine tooth comb. And then us is like, yeah, mostly I just wanted to get to the, like the, the cool stuff happening the, the, and it doesn't actually all, make a lot of sense. There's all this cool monster stuff and it's like, how did that happen? Well, if, if you if we describe it in this magical sort of a way, yeah. then you'll accept it. Yes, we will. But we're going to keep on explaining it in a scientific way so yeah. it makes less and less sense the more we explain it. I, I accept that movie on its kind of like the fact that it's logic and illogic meet on kind of this dream plane because mm. it's really just about sort of the vibe of it. Yeah, well, it, but, like, it, it should such... be about the vibe, but mm. it keeps on trying to explain itself. Mm. And it keeps on trying to have rules when it shouldn't. I, I, I'm uh, more, yeah. you know, I look at that movie a little bit like I look at the movie like Phantasm, which almost made my list as well, mm. where, yeah, it's sci-fi. It's not really about the sci-fi. It's basically no. about getting to this nightmare scenario mm. and exploring how that makes people feel. And yeah, we'll keep explaining, you know, like, oh, we're crushing all these dead bodies and sending them to another planet and shit. That's not, why we're here <laughs> but you, you know, go like, ahead and keep explaining it knock yourself out it's not detracting from how scared i am uh nope is a really wonderful film about film history mm -hmm. uh the main characters who are played by uh, daniel kaluuya and uh, kiki palmer mm -hmm. um their brother and sister they own a horse ranch they inherited from their father who dies in the opening scene and uh in a really unusual way yeah and they rent out horses to uh, film productions and commercials and stuff. Yeah. Uh, their job, however, is diminishing in the era of CG. Uh, and the idea of keeping a horse ranch for movie purposes is now like a very old-fashioned idea. So everything's yeah. kind of dying out. Uh, the idea of animal wrangling is a lost art. Mm -hmm. 
but it's a skill they have, and they'll need it later. Yeah, it's uh, very important. <laughs> oh, it's not just a movie about film history. It's also a movie about animal wrangling. It's, it's a movie very specifically about animal wrangling. I love that. Like, movie animal wrangling as a vital survival skill. That's yeah. the theme of the movie. Uh, one of many, which is one, one, yeah. one thing that makes Nope great, is that it works in multiple angles. Yeah, yeah. well, because there's also a flashback parallel story, because mm. uh, nearby to the horse ranch is this sort of Western themed amusement park mm. owned by a former child star who was on a sitcom with a chimpanzee. And there's flashbacks to when uh, he was a young boy filming on the set with this chimpanzee and the disaster that befell the set when the chimpanzee went feral and killed people on set, which is really one of the scariest mm. scenes in anything ever. Yeah. Oh my God. That scene freaked me out. <laughs> well, that's why it opens too. Yeah. yeah that's Jesus the, Christ. Like, there's what? an image in that, in that sequence of a shoe mm. that, Makes no sense whatsoever, and yet is perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's like, people are like, what does the shoe mean? It doesn't fucking mean anything. It's fucking it's, scary, it's okay? Just, it's this bizarre it's little... The, de- it's, it's almost like... Um, I've, I like to draw parallels between Jordan Peele's filmography and M. Night Shyamalan's filmography. I can see that. Uh, in, and they both have like sort of similar peculiar interests that they pursue, and they don't always lock together, but they are mm. really, I'm really determined to get it to you, no matter what it is. Um uh, signs, Shyamalan signs is on my runners. As yeah. as mine as well. I think it's yeah. underappreciated. I, yeah. I, I like signs a lot actually. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, the, there's this sort of parallel between you know people who treat animals with respect. What happens when you don't treat animals with respect? And what happens when the animal is a carnivorous flying saucer that lives in a cloud under over your property? Uh, <laughs> I love this premise. So like, it's like okay, so. It's a sci-fi movie about a flying saucer. So we've seen, we, we know mm. about Communion. We know about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. We have an image in our head of what that's like. And when the flying saucer actually appears in this movie, and all it does is suck people up. Like, oh, it sucks people into the into mm. the spacecraft. And then they perform experiments, or they take them to their planet or something, right? No, that's the digestive tract. Yeah, that's, and that <laughs> sequence is also one of the scariest fucking things I've ever seen. And it takes a while to get there, uh, yeah. and there's a lot of wonderful homages to uh, Los Angeles because the yeah. ranch is like just outside of LA. Uh, they go to Fry's. Oh uh, yeah, which is closed by the way. I it was know. closed when they shot it. Like they went to the yeah. the, the disused Fry's and pretended like it was yeah. still open. The electronic you... store in the in the movie is this mm. giant electronic store that had as a gimmick it looked like a flying saucer crashed into the building. Mm. God, I love that building. <laughs> that building was. I, fun. I, I think the building is still there. I, haven't I hope torn it so. Down It'd yet, be a shame but, to tear it down. I think, like a, I think it was in Burbank. They need to um, do something. Turn it into a theme restaurant or something. For God's sake, just, just go for it. Just reopen fries. I like fries. I know it's just Fri- hard. It's hard to keep an electronic store open right now. That's you know? true. Like, at, least and, the, at least the in person. Also, the reason I liked fries was because they had great like CD and video deals, and oh, people yeah. aren't buying CDs and oh, videos anymore. Yeah. Not not the way I do. Uh, Best Buy is going to stop sell, uh, selling uh, physical media. Yeah, fuck them. Fuck them, right? Jesus Christ. Assholes. I mean, I'm, I'm glad like some of the Tiffany outlets are staying around. Like, you know, yeah. your, your Criterions, your Arrow videos, and Vinegar Syndrome, and you yeah. know, those kinds of things are staying. You know, Shot Factory, of course. Yeah. Uh, but it's, turn, it's turning keep, into keep, a medium get, for mailers. AV Club geeks, you know? Like, Which, yeah. you know, fine, fine. Be the AV Club geek. As Collect them as you a, can. If you have the money, go for as it. As long as there's enough of a market to keep it going, good. Mm. But that uh, really pisses me off. Yeah. Anyway, but we're, we're getting into the weeds. Uh, not really, because fry, you know, <laughs> sort of like ce- because celebration of old media is also a big part of no. Touche. Um, there's there's this weird sort of catharsis that the characters have all put together. Like they they know that this flying saucer is around. They know it's like sucking up people, and they know they have to deal with it somehow. But their solution isn't to necessarily like capture it or kill it. 
the only thing they can think to do is film it. Yeah. Like, that's going to take away its power. If we get it on camera, mm-hmm. somehow that will give us dominion over this creature. And the also, same way we... And that's, like, yeah. sort of thinking of the way we think of animal wrangling. We're trying to get an animal performance on camera. Yeah. So that that's what this is about Hollywood animal and wrangling. And what went wrong on that mm-hmm. sitcom mm-hmm. was a failure of animal wrangling mm-hmm. that got a lot of people killed. So they're trying to find a way to, to basically tame a deadly animal. Oh, to put it in a movie. Yeah. yeah basically. Yeah. And, and but uh, they're gonna do it the right way. They're gonna do it the right way. There's this thing about sort of magnetic fields whenever they have like certain kinds of cameras, they don't work. So they have to get these yeah, old fashioned really crankers. old fashioned hand crank yeah. cameras. There's this really wonderful scene where they call up this old documentarian who's like watching old animal footage from like the yeah. silent era on these like great th- Michael Wincott. Uh, oh, don't oh. see him enough. But, yeah, uh, he Michael should have been an Oscar no actually and, a lot. This movie got no Oscar nominations. Michael Wincott should have been up for best supporting. Yes. Uh, I Kiki think, Palmer should have been up yeah. for Best Supporting. Best Sound Design, uh, mm. Best Visual Effects, mm. at least. Uh, can we give Can we give Michael Wincott an, an Oscar just for his dramatic reading of the Purple People Year? Right? <laughs> I was stunned. Like, that shouldn't work. That's mm. a ludicrous scene. No. But you get Michael Wincott, an actor who had his heyday uh, in, like, the 90s and then just kind of faded out and people didn't see him very much anymore. He just it was the villain in a lot of things. He was, like... You can't get Gary Oldman, so you get Michael Wincott kind of vibe. Uh, that's why hasn't that relaunched his career? He should be in everything again. <laughs> what are you doing? Why aren't everything? It's a proof positive that he's a genius actor. But yeah, no, he's like becomes like equally obsessed with like catching this thing on camera. Um, yeah, it's about dominion. It is about the way that our expectations are dashed. It's about uh, you know our fascination with film and, and film history. And it's about an alien feeling alien again. When you mm. finally get like a good look, not just at the flying saucer, but what it is inside. <laughs> I experienced something that you remember I was talking about forbidden planet and how like, you know, you're actually sort of dazzled by it. Mm. I was dazzled. <laughs> I saw an image I haven't seen in a movie before. Well, that, that and I was ends... really just captivated mm. by that. And that, that's what I like about Nope. It's it's weird and it's really out there. It's got a lot of plot threads, but unlike us, it yeah. actually works out in Nope. I really yeah. like what he does with Nope. I really like what he's saying with Nope. I love its just uh, incessant homage to Hollywood history. Yeah. It's, it's all wonderful. I'm glad this one grew on you because I remember when we reviewed this, I was a little higher on it than you were. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you've come around a little bit because well, I, I just immediately, I thought this was one of my favorite movies in the years. I, I, just, I think I put it on my best of the year list at the end of the year. But, I don't um, know if I made the list or just runners-up. You admired it. I just yeah. remember I was just really high on it and you just you just really liked it. Mm. Uh, so I'm just, I just think it's cool when like our, our you know, a movie rises in our estimation over yeah. time, you know? like it, That's happened to me a lot, where there's a movie that was like, I liked it, and then a couple years later I realized I think about it multiple times a week. Yeah. So even though I didn't think it was the best movie of the year, maybe it was. Yeah, and it happens a lot, and maybe it's yeah. not even a great movie. Maybe there's yeah. just something in it that sticks with you. Yeah, um, yeah Nope has stuck with me over the years. I, I, the year and a half that's, yeah, that's come out. Um, still feels like it's been it, forever, it, man. It's, a pretty, uh, it's been a very long decade so far. Yeah. Um, well, my number one, and you know, I, I had a tie with mm-hmm. Island of uh, the Island of Lost Souls and Jurassic Park. I didn't mean to. Okay. Uh, that was like a oh shit, those should just be together because it's kind of repetitive. Uh, so I usually don't like having more than one tie on my list, but my number one is a tie, and it's a tie because it's the same movie. Okay. Like, yeah. Literally, uh, it's the fly. 
Okay. And The Fly. Not The Fly 2? No, although that's... that. that... <laughs> also not Curse of the Fly, by the way, which is the original mm-hmm. of The Fly 2. Um, the, f- the Fly came out in 1958, and then David Cronenberg mm-hmm. remade it in 1986. Yeah, I think 58. Um, and uh, The Fly is based on a short story. It is about a scientist who develops uh, a, a means of teleportation. We're going to, you know, take your molecules Dematerialize apart, your body. And yeah. then we're going to move it into another uh, uh, another place. Um, and uh, when they do, do this with a human person themselves, uh, it should work fine, except a common housefly just happens to wander into the machine, and the machine scrambles their DNA. Yeah, you can't, can't tell them apart, so it just turns them into one being. Yeah, although, although in, the, in, in the original it's a little mm-hmm. different. Well, in the original, uh, it takes, like, body parts of each mm-hmm. and, like, unwittingly swaps them out. Yeah. So uh, a fly flies out with a human head and, like, human arm. Yeah, fly-sized. Fly-sized, like, yeah, still a little, able to little fly, fly around. And then the human-sized creature wanders out with this big, grotesque fly head. Yeah, really, and a fly arm. Yeah. Uh, really freaky makeup on that thing. Like, they kind of oh, yeah. keep it hidden throughout most of oh, the movie. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but it's a good reveal. And again, you know, for the 1950s, you know, makeup effects weren't as incredible as they would be by the time David Cronenberg got around to it. But it's a very effective monster-looking thing. And what this movie does... It tells the same story, but it tells it a little differently. It is uh, much more, like, insular. Mm. And it, there's something about The Fly which I love, which is, it's a monster movie. The Fly isn't a threat. Mm. The Fly is actually a tragic figure, even in the original. The Fly is kind of pathetic, actually. Because, yeah. and I mean that in the most sensitive way, just you, you pity this, this poor person and this fly that have, like, in this twist of fate, have sort of collapsed on themselves. Um where the scientist is trying to explain to his wife what happened. And she's not a scientist, but she's smart, but she, you know, doesn't have the, the, you know, the, mm. the research. Um, what happened and how he is gradually losing his mental capacity mm. as his brain is turning more and more into a fly. That's the part that scares me yeah, about real, the fly. Yeah. As, as, as he kind of loses his humanity very slowly. Yeah. And uh, that it, that's a, like a small element of the 1958 film. Mm-hmm. It's the entirety of the 1986 film. Yeah. So this like, idea of uh, his... his Bind and his body are kind of slowly deteriorating over the whole of whole of that movie. Yeah. Before we go completely into that, I just want to give some some credit to the oh. original because the, it turns into this weird saga of a housewife desperately trying to find one housefly, <laughs> and she hopes it hasn't left the house mm. because if it has, you're never gonna find that fucker again. And Vincent Price uh, plays like a friend of the family, and he is absolutely convinced that she has lost her mind. Uh, that some something horrible, but you know something that simply just like broke her mm-hmm. has occurred, and he's trying to suss it out. And at the end. You know, there's there's not enough evidence left to convince him until one of the great movie endings. <laughs> one of the absolute great, shocking, strange, pathetic, horrifying endings is the original The Fly. And that's something that David Cronenberg actually didn't keep, which is kind of interesting. He let the original movie have that, which is one of the reasons why I think that first movie is great. Like, it, it's, David Cronenberg's film has overshadowed it mm. because it's so uh, unbelievably great. But the original Fly is a great template on which he built. And yeah, he zeroed in on the idea of this tragic sci-fi transformation being not just scary because I've turned into a fly, but scary because it becomes a degenerative disease. Yeah. Where Jeff Goldblum is 
at first exhilarated by what's happening to him and then realizes that everything that's happening to his body is slowly destroying him inside and out. Hmm. And he is just looking as his body creates bile and pus and pieces of him keep falling out and growing in size and being gross. And then Gina Davis, who had fallen in love with him initially and felt rejected and repulsed by him as he started to transform, starts to realize that, like, no, what can I do to help him? And then when she finds out she's pregnant, Hmm. then it becomes a serious conversation is what he has genetically going to be passed on to a child. Should I bring that child into the world? Mm. And how does Jeff Goldblum feel about that? (laughs) And that's what leads to a lot of the great horror and conflict. And you feel for everyone in the scenario. Mm. Um, Yeah. I've heard this movie as described as just a straightforward, uh, this is a sci-fi horror version of what it's like to like lose a family member to cancer. Uh, it came out in the eighties, and a lot of people yeah. have associated it with a lot of people who were dying from from AIDS at the time. Cronenberg yeah. uh, you know? uh, has been asked about that numerous times, of course, yeah. over the years, um, and he did, he did say that this is a disease movie. Cronenberg um, hmm. also objects to this description, but a lot of his films tend to be about horror of the body. Uh, I don't and... know how you can reject. You can say that's not all there is to it, but. Yeah. Come on. I, I think he just didn't like being pegged. It's like, yeah. you make a lot of body horror movies. No, I don't. Oh, I kind of do. <laughs> there's this, um, there's this uh, philosophy some people have that um, intent is everything. Hmm. So, like, if the filmmaker says they didn't intend something, it's not in there. And I'm like, you don't know everything that's in your mind. Yeah. This, yeah. The consciousness is subconscious we for ta- a reason. talking about that with Annihilation. Yeah. The aliens are going to reach into your mind and find bullshit. You know, they're yeah. not going to find the fun stuff. Like, the reason uh, we go into therapy is that there's stuff about ourselves <laughs> that we're not cognizant of yeah, and so, we're not, we don't understand. Like, you know, you can watch someone's, look at someone's art and notice something about them that mm. they might not have realized about themselves. And I can appreciate that being uncomfortable. Mm. But come on. <laughs> it's there, dude. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, But he said that it's actually not explicitly an AIDS picture. He, yeah. he wasn't talking. He wasn't thinking about the AIDS crisis when he was Just making, making it about that. Yeah, exactly. But it is. But he was, but he was yeah. thinking about disease. And he actually yeah. talked uh, about how uh, he watched his... I think his father yeah. uh, had cancer and he watched his father like deteriorate very slowly. So that's what he was thinking when he was making yeah. the fly and how it was you know, about a disease ravishing this yeah. man's body. For one of the great monster movies, it is like one of the most human movies Yeah, as well. Yeah, It's it's one of Cronenberg's most humane pictures. Yeah. He, he, tends, he tends to make yeah. very cold films for the most part. Um but and but yeah, a lot of them are about how uh, sort of inner chaos begins to reflect outer chaos, and uh, how certain ideas become so strong that they change your body. Yeah, that's definitely what uh, Videodrome is about. That's mm-hmm. a big part of Existence. Like a, a lot of these yeah. things about how your body is God, mutating. Crimes, yeah. crimes of the future. Crimes of the future is yeah. just about um, yeah. surgeries that do sex. Yeah. It's a weird fucking movie. I wish yeah. that movie worked better than it does. I know. There's so many cool ideas in it. I just don't think it comes together very well. Like, uh, and Cronenberg is like totally like he's in his late seventies at this point. He yeah. just he has no fucks to give. He's, yeah, he's like he's almost like John Carpenter's like, hey, I made a movie. Uh, well, what's it really about? I don't fuck know. Just you tell me. Yeah, I'm gonna go do another cameo in Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> 
just having what I fun do. now. Yeah, good for him, but like fun. But um, he's earned it, right? He's I think he's one of our greatest living filmmakers. Oh, he's, I really he's wonderful. Yeah, I just I admire. Oh, I wish I liked Crimes of the Future better, but, uh, but there's a few of his films I don't like. I don't think Maps to the Stars works very well. Oh, I didn't but, see like, Maps to the Stars. I, I see what he's doing. Mm. I just don't think it works. But well, like, I was very, I was one of the only people who was fond of Cosmopolis, the one that took place in the limo. I admire um, it more than I like it, but yeah, it's really good. Yeah, mm. sure. Um. So yeah, the, I th- and I think is it's interesting because it's tempting to call the fly his masterpiece. And personally, I don't subscribe to the idea that you can only have one masterpiece. A masterpiece how, how about, is simply a demonstration well, of, of all, your mastery of something. How about this? Let's not use the word masterpiece anymore. Eh. It's a useless word. Uh, well, and what is what does it mean? Uh, the idea I think it's just that the artist at the height of their powers. I suppose so. And, and that's you, all I mean. You could use that if. You feel that way, like, unequivocally. Yeah. That, that there's one that really does stand heads and shoulders I don't think it rest. needs to be one, though. I think uh, a masterpiece just simply demonstrates you at the height of your powers. Right. You can have more than one. I suppose so. How about just filmmakers make great movies from time to time? I guess my, uh, my point was, I feel like The Fly gets singled out. Okay. And I think a lot of people would, would consider The Fly one of his best works. When, mm-hmm. weirdly enough, even though it is outwardly repellent and by design... It's weirdly the most accessible. That's the thing. It's his most accessible work. It's not like a sellout movie or anything like that, but it's a big monster movie remake. Hmm. You know, it hits all of these kind of studio note type shit. Uh, But yeah, he makes it very Cronenberg. Cronenberg survives the material. And then that led to The Fly 2, which uh, is not on my list. It is not a particularly I, good movie. It is one of the grossest movies say, ever made. You really need to see The Fly 2. You will not see a film with, like, more pus by the gallon. Jesus. It's what? so goddamn gross. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fucking work. But it is gross. It's, yeah, like all sorts of weird, sick shit in that movie. <laughs> Oh, oh, so what, uh, one of the things that happens in Cronenberg's The Fly is, yeah. you know, as Seth Brundle, the character, is transforming into a fly, he begins eating like a fly. Yeah. And eat, and flies digest their food before they eat it. They kind of, like, yeah. puke some stomach acid, dissolve it, and then slurp it back up. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, that's really gr- gross. It's, well, it's, <laughs> it's gross to imagine that on a human scale. And yeah. we see that happening on a human scale. He picks up a donut, and he just pukes on it immediately. It's and like, then Gina oh. Davis goes, Ugh, and he's like, oh, oh, right, that's disgusting. Yeah, he, he, he holds it, he kind of looks, and just like, that's disgusting. Yeah. And oh, well, it's not, that's what it's I gotta not, do. It's not until later in the movie that he realizes that's how he's eating now. Yeah. Um, but he, when uh, he uses that on a person... Yeah, it uses... Oh, God, that scene's uh, horrifying. In The Fly 2, there's like... First of all, it's like total schlock. There's like military guys oh, with yeah. guns running around trying to it's, find monsters. and a nonsense movie. And, and the, the fly monster, like, it's the drop on a, one of those military guys and just like pukes acid on his face and we get to see his <laughs> face dissolve. It's like... Okay, I'm having fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just start eating popcorn if you can stomach it. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh. So yeah, that's. Oh, I guess that's the iron list, isn't that's it? The iron we list. Did yeah, the iron we did list. Also. Um. Real fast. Let's. Right. Uh, we're gonna go down the list and uh, remind everyone of what we picked. Uh, Whitney's top ten. Uh, was Doctor X, uh, the Lee Winnell version of the Invisible Man, Under the Skin, Darren Aronofsky's Pie. Uh, a tie of sorts between Alien and Prometheus, Event Horizon, Communion, Annihilation, Nope, and Island of Lost Souls. Uh, my picks were The Black Hole, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde, Phase 4, From Beyond, uh, the original The Terminator, The Hidden, Forbidden Planet, 
Uh, a tie between Island of Lost Souls and Jurassic Park, thematically connected, mm-hmm. uh, Jordan Peele's Nope, and the, a double feature of the original Fly and the remake of The Fly. Uh, Whitney, I know we both said mm-hmm. we had a lot of runners-up. Is there anything I, you want to I got a couple. Like? Um, yeah. Uh, I like Lee Winnell's The Invisible Man. I like James Whale's The Invisible Man. I think those are both wonderful movies. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's like a little bit more magical monstery uh, mm. than straight up sci-fi, but it's also you know, yeah. Uh, it's a mad science know. movie. Um, the original version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, yeah, from the fifties. Uh, that's that's pretty unassailable with Kevin McCarthy. I, I um, almost put it on there. I, that one and the original remake from the seventies and Abel Ferrara's slightly yeah. underrated remake. From yeah. the 90s are really, yeah, the really good. The one great. from the 90s is pretty good, too. Yeah, uh, it's got great bits. Yeah, Videodrome, I mentioned I really like yeah. Videodrome. Uh, another one that you, you said you had trouble getting through, but uh, I really like, called Beyond the Black Rainbow. Oh. I, it's not that I don't like it. There's mm. this thing in Beyond the Black Rainbow. It, 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 it drones has, and pulsates in a hypnotic kind of a way yeah, that puts it has, you to sleep. It has an audio drone that is like, you know, like when they say, like, you know, your, your baby can't sleep, put on, like, a vacuum cleaner or something. Mm. Yeah, the white that's, noise. That's yeah. what Beyond the Black Rainbow is to me. Like, I've tried watching it multiple <laughs> times, and I always fall asleep. I'm not even tired. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, this is kind of... Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's not the movie's fault. It's me. It's me. I, no one I else I know complains a, about this. It's just on a frequency I can't quite connect I, to. I, I understand that entirely because when I remember when I was a little kid, I would get up in yeah. the morning really, really early, and my mom would always already be up doing like chores, mm-hmm. and she'd either be running the dishwasher or the washing machine, and I would like curl up on the washing machine or the dishwasher, and have oh, that kind go. of like loud white noise kind of put me back to sleep again. Yeah. Um, so whenever I watch Eraserhead, which is nothing but those like kind of mechanical droning yeah. noises, I'm kind of like relaxed when I watch that movie. It's like, oh yeah, that's nice. I like that nice. droning noise. Um, this one I didn't, I didn't feel was really entirely fair because it's actually a lot more fantasy than it is sci-fi. Mm. Uh, but the Cell, the, I, I was on my runners the, up the, as well. The Tarzan yeah. movie, uh, where uh, Jennifer Lopez plays a cop who has this science fiction device. No, she's a doctor uh, and she's enlisted. Oh, that's by right. Cops. She's yeah. enlisted by the cops to, uh, yeah, use use the sci fi device to enter the subconscious mind uh-huh. of a serial killer. Yeah, he's comatose and one of his victims is uh, like is on it, a clock, it, yeah. and so like we want you to get inside his head and find out where she is. But inside the mind of this particular serial killer is a very strange place. It, well, it's it's it, essentially like an hour of MTV music videos. It's but, a uh, masterpiece of production design. It's yes, yeah, really one of the more beautiful films. Yeah, uh, a really uh, surreal film from the uh, '80s called Liquid Sky. About uh, uh, a- aliens uh, that are sucking out people's brains when they when they use heroin or when they have an orgasm. I, I debated whether that was a horror film or not, but yeah, I yeah. guess it's fine. I love that movie. Yeah, that movie's li- amazing. It's, it's yeah, yeah, it's like super genderqueer. It's like yeah, yeah super oh. gay movie and super druggy movie. One of the best new wave pictures there uh-huh. is. I feel like if that's I, one of those I have movies... the soundtrack on vinyl and nice. it's all this like weird pulsating electronic stuff. That's one of those movies where I feel like if I had seen that when I was younger, it would have been really formative for me. But yeah. I saw it when I was like my mid thirties, and I was oh, like, oh, yeah. where were you when I was twenty? I, I needed yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. I felt that way when I finally saw Repo Man. Yeah. Because I didn't see, I, I didn't see Repo Man until I was thirty, and I. I yeah. I kicked myself. It's like, I could have had this for like 12 years earlier. It's so frustrating when you catch up mm. on a classic and it's like that, yeah. Um, they Live, uh, John Carpenter's mm-hmm. They Live is a really terrific movie. Again, you don't need me to recommend that one to you. Yeah, it's another one I was uh, like debating how horror it was, but it's yeah. a masterpiece. I love it. Uh, one that isn't a horror film, I put The Incredible Shrinking Man. That's not really a horror movie, though. Yeah, it's, 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 it's one like, of my favorite sci-fi movies, it's a great, period. It's a great sci-fi movie, but yeah. it's not necessarily a horror picture. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, There's a cool spider in it, but that's... And a cat, yeah. but like, yeah. 
Yeah, The Tingler definitely is a, sure. a horror movie. A uh, Splice. Yeah, the OG Adrian Brody movie. Yeah, uh, that, that's a really fun one. Great uh, modern I, Frankenstein I, update. Let's see, uh, signs of the time machine. Uh, time machine's not really a horror movie. Yeah, the 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 Morlocks. The Morlocks scary, are yeah. Yeah, a little scary. You mean the original George Powell version? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, not that 2002 it's piece of crap. Not very good. Which was weirdly directed by H.G. Wells' grandson. Grandson, a great grandson, or great grandson, yeah, like yeah, a relative yeah, right? of H.G. Wells. Weird. Uh, and uh, and of course, mm. what if aliens were TV signals and they turned into television? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's on my tour list. Too. Yeah, ter- yeah. <laughs> but television is like a monster freak out. Like that's yeah. just—it's like Gremlins. Two. It's a science fiction oh, no, Gremlins. Gremlins two. Two, if you thought Gremlins Two wasn't weird enough, mm. television—that's what you're looking for. That's you're, the movie you want. This is you. You get television. Yeah. You get Gremlins two. Yeah. You get Basket Case two. Yeah. And uh, and you get freaked, and you would just you mainline yeah. those monster pictures. Whatever and, you do, and don't drop bra- acid beforehand. And your brain will just. Yeah. You don't need acid. No, you're, you're good. Your brain is gonna fucking explode. <clears throat> All right. Is that is that the end of your? That's, uh, yeah, that's my okay. Um, I I'm gonna cherry pick my runners up because I had a really really long list. Uh, Robot Monster came very close to making my list. I love that <laughs> fucking movie. Uh, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, like you, I agreed it was yeah. a little too obvious. Uh, a movie which is great and undeniably sci-fi and mostly horror, but I just wasn't... I don't know if it, it felt like it, 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 it doesn't... It feels like it deserves its own list where all ten are Psycho Gorman. <laughs> I love Psycho Gorman way more than I probably well, add, should. Add Psycho Gorman to that, that quadruple feature I just listed. Yeah, because Psycho Gorman is an absolute fucking weird delight. It's one of those movies where if it had come out in 1988, it would be everyone's personality now. <laughs> but because it's now and it only came out the shutter, not enough people have seen it. Uh, Alien made my short list. Uh, Signs, I really do feel like everyone gets like really hung up on the ending of Signs. Not acknowledging that it actually does make sense. Uh, well, and not only does it make sense, but it, it makes like emotional sense. Yeah. Like it, the the characters kind of click together in yeah. this important way. And, and that Shyamalan directs the hell out of that mm. movie. Like it's a genuinely like, frightening movie. There's and there's like some legitimately brilliant stuff in there. Oh movie. yeah. Um, like the, do you remember what the opening shot is of, of Signs? Mm. Oh, it's it's um. It's a shot of the empty playground in the yard. The oh, kids yeah. aren't playing on it. Yeah. It's kind of quiet and ethereal, and it's being shot through the window. The window, however, isn't like a clean, clear piece of glass. It's mm-hmm. like a little bit warped. So as the camera begins to move, the playground kind of like warps visually a little bit. It's oh, like, yeah. the, like time is out of joint, that kind yeah. of thing. And it's bookended at the end of the movie when that window is broken. Uh-huh. And we get the same shot, and everything is clear now, and the sun nice. is out. It's like, okay, you know what? That's some smart... Also, right I defy you not to tell me that that's one of the great horror movie scores. James oh, yeah. Ha- I think it's James Newton Howard. I think like, it's James Newton yeah. Oh, fuck. So great. Um, as I mentioned, Phantasm already. Uh, you know, uh, Get Out and Us. Uh, the original Invaders from Mars, which is a little bit more of a child's nightmare than it is like truly sci-fi, yeah. but by God, is it one of the great nightmares ever caught on film. Uh, the Cell. Um, a movie that wasn't sci-fi horror until the sequel clarified that it was sci-fi horror. Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You <laughs> are wonderful films. I love them both. Fire in the Sky. Uh, Eric Red's Body Parts, 
which is one of those like the, oh the so, Jeff Fahey movie yeah that movie's fucking great where <laughs> it's right. like oh Jeff Fahey's like oh I, I I think like he lost his arm or something like that and he got like a graft but it turns out it was from a serial killer yeah, so and now his like, personality of its own like, oh no yeah, I and mean, you think you know exactly where that movie is going because you've seen it before you do not know where that movie is going you fucking sit down and watch that movie it is on Criterion right now it's fucking great oh that's right they have like a horror of the 90s channel yeah right yeah um, on some, the Criterion channel they got the addiction on there as well which would mm. if we had done the best vampire movies I would have dedicated a lot of time mm. to because that movie was not available for a long uh, time I, I'm and I'm really mm. I'm happy that one of my favorite horror movies In mm. the Mouth of Madness the John mm. Carpenter film is, is getting props like yeah. it's on the Criterion it, channel now. as is Demon Knight <laughs> Demon Knight is on that list too the, the Demon Knight is on Criterion movie. <laughs> that's fucking awesome all is right with the world yeah. demon knight is on criterion uh, I'll, I'll i'll run through like the last of them um the director is apparently not a good person but uh hardware is a okay. hell of a good a cyberpunk a horror movie that's, that's richard stanley right yeah well we're yeah. talking about dr moreau richard stanley started on dr yeah. moreau as well um let's see here um uh the director's cut of guillermo del toro's mimic it still has kind of Which like Which I haven't a, seen. I've only seen the theatrical. It still has kind of like a nonsense Hollywood explosion ending, but up until then it's a really fucking great monster movie and the and the sort of thematic elements are more richly explored right. in the director's cut. So I like the theatrical okay. The director's cut is quite good. Um let's see here. Pitch Black. The original Pitch Black is really fucking awesome. I feel like mm. I feel like the sequels kind of like robbed it of a lot of its power, but it's still a rock solid like modern B movie. I think yeah. it's great. Um Shivers David Cronenberg oh, Shivers, okay, that's a good choice. Uh, which is just uh, like a hygiene movie gone horribly wrong. Uh, the stuff, <laughs> yeah, the which stuff. is fucking awesome. If you if yogurt you, from space, yeah, it's the Blob with capitalism. It's mm. so fucking great. Like, what if the Blob fell from space and it yeah. like ate people and lived in a cave? Yeah, but it was also delicious. Yeah, uh, Lee Winnell's Upgrade. Is a pretty fucking cool movie. And oh, I, think I haven't seen. It's, it's like either. it's more of like an action horror hybrid, but like it's still definitely sci-fi. Um, let's see. I'm somewhat fond of a, of a not very much talked about movie starring Peter Weller called Screamers, uh, which is about. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I, I rewatched Scream, it recently. Screamers is like just a, a decent watchable picture. I wouldn't call. I rewatched it, it recently. I, I like it. I think it holds up pretty good. Right. Uh, or very, re- very recent. So recent. I think it's a little too early, but I think it might make a list eventually. No one will save you. That's really good. Yeah, I, yeah. It's been too soon, but it's, like, yeah, it's really, literally been only a few weeks. Yeah. But it's that fucking. Saw it a couple good. weeks ago, and I really liked it. So yeah. Uh, Predator and Prey. They're both wonderful. Uh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness tries to like turn sort of religious concepts of evil into science fiction with, you know, the sci-fi is bullshit, but it's a really scary movie. Um, let's see, The Thing and The Thing from Another World. Yeah, we know they're great. <laughs> we know. Uh, Reanimator. Uh, the Invasion of Body Snatchers movies. Uh, they get out. Uh, the Brood, another David, great David Cronenberg movie. Uh, a movie that doesn't get enough credit. I think by the time this movie had come out, people were kind of tired of the Blumhouse formula, and they missed that this is actually a really good example of it. And that's Dark Skies, which is like a haunted house Dark movie, Skies. but it turns out that they're actually being like watched by aliens. And that's pretty clear. That oh yeah, it's good. It's got um, yeah. I think it's got Carrie Russell in it as well, and like it's really really grim actually mm. and i think it's very effective uh, uh jk simmons uh plays like 
the guy who comes along two thirds of the way through the movie and explains like what's going on with the aliens. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen that character more defeated. Oh wait, I have seen that movie because yeah. I remember that scene. Yeah, with, with J.K. Simmons, you know, yeah. where he get he gets to be like the mad scientist guy that they consult. Like, yeah. and here's I'm going to get explain everything to you. But, but he's like he's everything's miserable. so horrible. But yeah. yeah, it's just his life is complete shit. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a really good movie. People people kind of dismissed it, but I think it's overdue for a. Uh, a, a rewatch. Um, let's see. Uh, I said Invaders from Mars. Uh, I've got to give a shout out to Jason X just because it's fun. Uh, oh, here's a look. I rewatched Jason X. Yeah, it is it's a, great, right? It is astonishing how cheap that film is. I know. Like, like it. <laughs> Like it, it is Half like an episode. It, it is of... like two hairs above like a Charles Band production. Like it is practically a full moon film. What, what was that? What was that one sci-fi series that Kevin Sorbo starred in? That was like a Star Trek knockoff. It was like oh, uh, Andromeda. Not... Was it Andromeda? Um, it was either that one or Earth Final Conflict. No, it wasn't Earth Final. I think it was Andromeda. It oh. looks like it had half the budget of Andromeda. Yeah, and one episode, not a whole season. <laughs> right. Like it's really, really like cheap. they're wandering through these yeah. spaceship sets. It's like don't hit the walls; they're made of cardboard. <laughs> They'll fall over. I think that adds to its charms. Um, a, a a shameless knockoff of the thing, but is also highly effective. Mm. I was speaking of Peter Weller again, Leviathan. It's a fun one. Imagine yeah. the one, thing. One of, one of the many. Um, yeah, I think it's like an alien knockoff. It's yeah. it's imagine, but it's it's like kind of that mutating alien that infects you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Imagine the thing. John Carpenter's the thing underwater. Yeah, that's it. It's a great premise. It mm-hmm. works great. I love it. Um, There's a movie see. that came out a couple of years ago that that tried mm-hmm. to do it again in space. It was just called Life, uh, oh, and, yeah, and it was about a, a creature yeah. that was just. This blob yeah. of living cells that, and yeah. there was brain, muscle, and eyeball cells like all at once. Yeah, uh, a movie that kind of like epitomizes my philosophy of the four star, three star movie, mm. uh, which is to say, based on the concept, the movie could only ever be three stars, but it's as good as it could be. Uh, is Pandorum with Ben Foster and Dennis mm. Quaid, uh, where they like wake up from hypersleep in a ship that's really fucked and it's like full of monsters. And it goes in some really fun directions. It's like a video through. game opening. It, it does, but like, have you ever seen Pandorum? No. Oh, I think you'd like it. It's it's got a really it's got it's well thought out. Dennis Quaid's really really great in particular. Um, so yeah, it's it's really really excellent. Um, let's see, Doctor X as well. And uh, it it felt like a cliche because we've been talking about it so much elsewhere. But the original Gojira oh. uh, is of course a sci fi classic. So um, yeah, that is it. Those are our picks for the greatest sci fi horror films ever made. I hope you enjoy. Uh, as always, we'd love to hear from you if you want to talk about it. And again, we know that we've got mail is taking a back seat for a while. We need to do a p- catch-up episode. But please, by all means, send us your picks, send us your critiques uh, to uh, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Mm. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And uh, next time on the Iron List, uh, we didn't come up with uh, any more ideas. So what we're going to do... Uh, since the, we, the last month, uh, before this episode, uh, it worked out pretty good. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to throw open uh, to our patrons uh, for ideas. And we're going to look at the ideas that you have for us. We'll, we'll set up a, a, you know, leave a comment here on this episode. Uh, and, um, yeah, we will decide mm. on a few. Uh, we'll also throw in as an option... Uh, the uh, next installment in our letter series, I think it's the letter I, the best ones being with the letter I. Mm-hmm. Um, that will be an option as well, just as a default. But yeah, we're curious what you have to, what you want to come up with. So by all means, let us know. Head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, you, you, know, you can follow us on social media, but we're only going to take uh, nominations on the Patreon page. That's a perk 
for the patrons who not only get to vote but get to help pick the the topic. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that should be up. Well, now, basically, because you're listening to it. Um, anyway, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, we hope you have a wonderful, scary tober. And uh, that's the list. Okay.